uh, Elvis references have left the building. <laughs> no! no! Everyone's throwing their reference underwear on the stage. <laughs> Bring him back! Bring him back! I heard that Elvis references are still alive, <laughs> living in a retirement home with JFK. With, with JFK references. <laughs> and they're also fighting... Uh, Mummy references. They're fighting Boris Karloff references. <laughs> If you walk down the Vegas Strip, the, on the floor, there's just a bunch of flyers for strip clubs and also just discarded Elvis references. <laughs> just everywhere you go. Uh, yeah. But look, this is, I was actually thinking about that before we... I bet, I bet you were. <laughs> oh, I bet. As I was standing in the shower, in, the, in my cold shower I take before these recordings, <laughs> thinking of what I can reference, I was thinking about, well, it's February. It's, it's the love month. We yes. all know. Happy love to you. This could also have been... Burning love. Like there I could have done burning love all over again for this episode. That's true. You could have you I mean, thank God it didn't happen. Uh <laughs> well, well you see those headphones uh, <laughs> sitting next to you. This took me three nights. <laughs> I skipped our anniversary just to make this happen. If you look under your table, there's an engraved box <laughs> with your initials on it. And if you can solve my Elvis references, <laughs> it's February. Elvis references have left the building, and now we're in uh I guess, love potion number nine references. That's right. And there's plenty of them, uh, possibly uh, leading up to eight. <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay. Mambo number nine and love potion number nine. Mambo number five. Oh, okay. You got to get your math right. All right. I'm thinking And of, you're a bigger fan of that song than I am. <laughs> I'm a bigger fan of that song than anybody <laughs> is. Uh, I'm thinking of revolution nine. You're, re you're thinking of revolution number yeah. nine. Yeah. Revolution number nine. Number nine. Uh, but, but <laughs> the first eight were failed. We lost a lot of leaders. It, it starts with but, 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 uh, and then it just turns into like Paul McCartney screaming. <laughs> One, two. Oh no, Pete Best is back. Uh, well, look, there's something, something number episode 110, number nine, number five. It's all there. The numbers are all the here. The numbers are all there. Before we get into anything, we've got a Patreon update slash thanks. This time we are thanking Bruce Babcock. He upped his Patreon subscription to the postcard level. Hi, Bruce. Uh, yeah, so he went up to the, the $5 postcard level. But if you haven't heard already on any level, this is an extra little enticement to get people to sign up to our Patreon. At any level now, you will get with your subscription, a free 3 by 2 LA Meekly logo sticker. I'm still locked in like, you should deface MTA property, but I'm like, do I want to say that? Probably mm. not. I would never want you to take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Why make the bus look nicer? Uh, yeah, we will send those to you. It's just a little, you know, we, we appreciate everybody's support. It really helps us keep it going. So there's the $1 level where you'll now get a sticker and a thank you on the air, but that's it. And then the $5 level where you will get a handwritten postcard every month and a sticker and a thank you on the air, but that's about it. But it really, it helps us keep going financially. It yeah. really helps keep the lights on. Yeah, it makes sure that this room stays as cold as it has to be. Greg, you, <laughs> I offered you a serape to put on your lap and you refused. You said, I get that Mexican crap off. That's what you said. This is what Greg says in my apartment. The most Mexican place in Los Angeles. You have one American made that kind of. <laughs> I looks actually like do that. have one that has an apple pie design on it. Would you feel more comfortable with that? <laughs> you don't have cherry. You don't have cream pie. Um, <laughs> Can I get one that has like a maple leaf on it? I, I, I'm kind of. I'm. I'm Canadian curious. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it helps us out, and we thought this would be an extra little enticement, a little push in 2023 to get more people who might be like, eh, what do I get yeah. out of it? A sticker. 
a sticker. And we're hoping to see stickers places, you know? Yeah, stick them. But, but I mean, you get the sticker. You don't just want to go waste it. I mean, you want to put this on like your baby. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, like uh, over its mouth. Yeah. Get a sticker for every diaper that they use and put it, stamp it. <laughs> yeah. Like branding. How many diapers do baby use? Like three? Like three. And then they grow up? Yeah, one a year. Yeah. And then they're potty trained. <laughs> they're reusable. <laughs> but, so, you just wash it out. Or you could put this over your mouth like George Carlin. Oh, right. And be like... These guys silenced me. Yeah, these are the... <laughs> These are the podcasts you can't say on broadcast television. And then Ricky Gervais will just rip it off. As he did. He ripped the sticker right off of Hollywood, didn't he, Greg? (laughs) So yeah, that's Patreon. Thank you, Bruce. And uh, before we get into February, what did you do in the month of January? Or do you want me to go first? You should probably (laughs) go first. Well, mine, you know, I try not to make it too food related. Right. So I went broad. And basically focused on a neighborhood focused on food. <laughs> oh, okay. And that in your brain, that made it better, huh? In the food district. <laughs> Vernon. <laughs> my favorite place to visit. That's where all my favorite foods come from. My favorite animals become my favorite foods. <laughs> this is a, a gray area the perfect for me. intersection yeah. <laughs> of my, my two interests. <laughs> but my neighborhood uh, is Sawtell. Okay. Uh, have you been to the, like the, I guess it used to be called Japan Town and then it was like Little Osaka and now I think they just call it Sawtell. Sawtell over on the west side? Yeah, it's like just west of the 405. I know the area. Yeah, I know the area. I just haven't gone there to eat. You know, it's just like a two block stretch, mm-hmm. two or three block stretch of just like a ton of Japanese places. Right. You know, there's like a ton of different ramen places. One thing I was excited about was they have a location of this place that they had or still have in Little Tokyo that makes Okonomiyaki, which was this thing I had in, in Japan, you know, uh-huh. I, I spent some time in Japan, like two weeks <laughs> <laughs> studying the culture. Yeah. Studying the culture, writing down everything I could steal from them. And- <laughs> Fighting the emperor, <laughs> Pokemon dueling the emperor. <laughs> but what really was exciting to me was there's this grocery store. And, and when there's a grocery store focusing on a certain type of food or right. ethnicity, I will always go in it. Yeah. And they had fresh fish thing and they had sashimi grade fish. Okay. That you could just buy a hunk of beautiful looking salmon and just eat it. Wow, really? But I did because I had just eaten full. And I, I can't like I'm thinking like on my birthday, I'm going there and I'm going to get a $15 hunk of fresh salmon and I'm just going to stand at the counter eating it in front of them. <laughs> you turning down food because you had just eaten makes me very happy knowing that there's a bottom. That it's not a bottomless pit. Your body is not. Well, the problem just, is that I've got a bo- a big bottom, a really big bottom. <laughs> really big bottom. <laughs> because I'm eating so much sashimi, yeah. Greg. I've got those sashimi thighs. <laughs> I, I need to buy some sashimi grade pants. <laughs> I walked in and they said, oh, look, the, the sumo man is here. <laughs> and I said, wow, this is how you treat your customers? And they said, yeah. Yeah, kind of. And, uh, <laughs> and then they called me a gaijin, which is their version of a laowai. <laughs> Which is the Chinese version of White Devil. All th- How did you learn that? All things I've been called. I've been- How did you find out what Laowai meant? Was there an incident? <laughs> I've been called Laowai, which means like White Devil in China. <laughs> I've been called, Ga- I don't know if I would, they call me Gaijin in Japan, but I, they did. They should have. <laughs> in downtown Los Angeles, I was called White Devil once. <laughs> Did people in China want to take pictures with you? People wanted to take pictures. No, in China, they wanted to take pictures of me because I was 
white. I was tall. I'm tallish, white, and had long red hair. They submitted it to television. Be like, we found a ghost, and they're like, no, it's actually just an American. I'm sorry. Uh, no, uh, Laowai spotted in Tiananmen Square. <laughs> You're a cryptid in another country. <laughs> hey, one country's cryptid is another country's uh, mediocre white guy. But yeah, salt tells a really. It, it's that's good to know. It's mostly food. I mean, uh, that's. I think. <laughs> I think that's the main appeal there. But there's a lot of really good restaurants. Yeah. You can go to that's a good and area. That's sashimi. Yeah, that that's you've made me very hungry now. Oh God! Welcome to me. Welcome to being Daniel. <laughs> you want some of the sashimi I've had sitting right? It's sashimi grade, so you can eat it just right. It's out been of on the counter for a month. Do you want some? <laughs> but as long as it has that sashimi seal of approval, <laughs> it's good forever. Oh, by the way, I also have seal. Um, <laughs> this last month, I I've been trying to track down a movie. And I don't want to buy it because it was like $35. I bet I can. So the libraries don't have it. I can't find it online streaming anywhere. So I was like, okay, well, I have to I have to find it somewhere. And I remembered that there are like three video stores left right. in our general area. Oh, sorry. video. I say video is a loose term, but DVD rental. So I went, finally, I've known about this place for a very long time. And I, I finally, I, I had an excuse to go and set up an account there. I went to Videotech in South Pasadena, which is like eight storefronts away from Michael Myers' house. Right. And it's great. It's it's. <laughs> they better watch out. But. They d- close on Halloween night. I'm begging you. <laughs> and close on Halloween night because oof, he doesn't and like Taylor it. And Taylor close on Halloween night. He doesn't like close. And Glenn close on Halloween night as well. I love word association. We should just have a podcast where I say something and then you say something and then I say something and you say is something. Is that not what this is? I mean, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> if someone said a review of just like, this is just a trash word association, I'd be like, this guy's pretty smart. Um, so I went to Videotech and they did not have what I was looking for. And I, uh, I was so mad. I checked five other things out. Uh, and every time I go, I check more things out they have a great fantastic selection and i i'm all i've been finding things i've been wanting to see for a long time and they haven't been within arm's reach and it's great there's some things are organized by either director or actor or country that they come from sometimes you have to wander into the genre section and it works just like a video store where you need to bring it back you bring it back after you <laughs> and you rewind it but i did so i give it back to them um yeah uh, they you get like a week rental and they have a thing where you can give them like you you could pay in advance and have like you know a hundred rentals for the year if you want to and they're, they're one of the cashiers there or one of the big people working there was saying that somebody had one where you you know he has like a hundred credits and he checks out like one thing a month so he has it for like the rest of his life if he basically hmm. wants to i've been going there once a week for the last three weeks huh. i've wanted to go there but that's uh connor holt yeah. someone who listens to us he sent us a uh, like he made a whole zine about like uh, closed down and the ones that are still around of the video stores around LA that's, mm-hmm. that's I think that's a good resource for you it is I would have really liked this three weeks ago <laughs> the thing I've been meaning to because he sent it to me and I read it and I liked it and then I'm like I, I gotta give this to Greg and I never did great work on Connor Holt's part yeah, to do all he this. He is VHS spectacular on yeah. Instagram and he posts about like different old, uh, the dying breed of video rental stores. Oh yeah, I can't wait for videos to open again in Eagle Rock. Um, They're not open yet? There, there's a video store kind of near Sawtell actually, yeah, near the new file, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's the one closest to my work and I still go all the way to South Pasadena. <laughs> Vidiots opens, I'm probably going to give them my money because they're close to me and I just like Vidiots a lot. Vidiots was where I like. I do. I, yeah, I miss, I miss them being in San 
Santa Monica, where it was really hard to get to. Yeah, where I'd have to uh, fill up my tank and go from Northridge just to get to drop Spider Baby off before they charge me two dollars. Yeah. Well, look, that that was January, a month of food and movies. Food and movies are two favorite things. <laughs> Let's talk about what we're talking about when we talk about well, talking. This talking <laughs> when we talk about and you talk and I talk and talk talk talk. God damn it. We uh, <laughs> so so this episode originally we were going to do like local LA brands. Right. And then we both gravitated towards local LA brands of toys. Right, right. So we decided to just make this the toys episode. And that's that's fine. That's More than super- fine. I, I But as we were doing, like yesterday, I was like, maybe we should have saved this for like November or something <laughs> when, when people are like buying toys. People start Christmas shopping now, or holiday shopping now. They, they, but look, we're, we li- that's why people need to support us on Patreon. We live hand to mouth on this podcast. We don't know if we're going to get canceled by November. I keep biting my... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, your hand to my mouth I... and my, my mouth to God's ears <laughs> and God's mouth to my... my... Mouth? Neck? I don't remember. I think God's a vampire and his mouth is on my neck. That's right. He, because God's an evil he vampire. <laughs> when God is good, it's a it's a lady. When it's bad God, bad God, which is not the devil. Yeah, there's good God. Uh, well, it's a classic case of good God, bad God. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to be talking about because uh, L.A. has made some serious contributions to toys, yeah. which I I kind of knew. But like never really processed of like, oh, modern toy industry is yeah. kind of because of Los Angeles or it came from Los Angeles. Yeah, this segment I, I did. I had no idea that these iconic mm-hmm. old toys. I don't even know if they're really toys, really, but the fun activity things. <laughs> Anything could be a toy if you throw it. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you throw it at your little brother, everything's a toy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had no idea that these all originate from Southern California. They all have such a Southern California feel. And um, I thought one of them yeah, was... Yeah, even mine. Like my two biggest ones, very much so. And people are going to want to know more about yours because uh, yeah, a certain yeah. movie's going to come up. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah. The Pogo movie? <laughs> Pogo dancing the movie? Well, you're going to start us out. Yeah. Let's okay. start it. I'm going to be talking about Whammo toys. You probably know what came I, out of Whammo. You want me to spoil it for people? I what mean, I, what I think came out of Whammo? No, hold on okay. to it. I think I wrote it to be revealed later. All right, I'll throw it at your nose. <laughs> but <laughs> Whammo, Whammo is like the perfect, like my, my perfect idea of like 60s kids yeah. post-war having yes, fun. Yes, yeah. If that's if what I think came out of Whammo, I know one thing definitely, but I'm thinking of some other ones, then yeah, it is. There's a few of them that I'm like, oh, these are all Brady Bunch. Like, yeah. I see these and I yeah. immediately think Brady yeah, Bunch. Yeah, this is what Brendan Fraser was playing with in Blast from the Past. <laughs> <laughs> and Encino Man, because Bolly Shore didn't really, he didn't leave. That's true. I, Brendan Fraser for a while had the market cornered on people uh, sometimes literally frozen in time and coming back in, in, in uh, let's just say, the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, oh no, I was going to say he wasn't the mummy in the mummy, but the mummy is also someone who got brought back to a different time, uh, right. the 90s. <laughs> he should have been playing the mummy. He could play he both parts. He could play Rick and the mummy. Oh, I would have loved that. Oh, the- oh, it would have been good God, bad God, played by the same guy. <laughs> the only person to take down the money is Encino Man, who predates him. <laughs> Encino Man and Boy from the 50s meet the mummy. <laughs> So let's talk about our guys at Wemo. Arthur Mallon or Spud and Richard So fifties. N- or Richard Nur, K-N-E-R-R, or Rich. So Spud and Rich had been friends since they were teenagers. They sound like they were cut from the same ilk as like Weird Al and Ward Kimball, like lovable, wholesome, Fun. SoCal goofballs. Yeah. So they're from here, from LA? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think 
kind of more on the east side, but yeah, mostly like that LA County. I think one of them was from San Gabriel and the other one was from South Pasadena, if I remember correctly. They once got arrested when they were teenagers for throwing rotten oranges at each other. (laughs) What? Yeah. I didn't know you can get arrested for that. (laughs) Well, any uh, abuse of orange for years in Southern California was considered a crime. It's true. They're iconic. They're uh, protected, nationally protected. You can't burn the American flag. You can't throw oranges in Southern California. (laughs) This seems like a Dragnet episode. And there's like like a bead of orange. And then when Rich was nine years old, he was making rubber band guns out of old wooden apple crates and clothespins and then turning around and selling them on his street in South Mm. Pasadena. Spud was equally business minded. At 10 years old, his family was vacation in Newport Beach and he he rigged up a clothesline over a part of Balboa Bay attaching 50 hooks with bait and collected the catch by rowboat. He would take the what? fish around town selling halibut and bass door to door on his wagon. <laughs> what? It was like a it, he would put a clothesline out with a bunch of hooks oh, and he okay. would like just fish one big line When out. you said clothesline I thought like hanging over Balboa Island the and fish catch, like jumped yeah, up. Jumped up and caught. <laughs> well, I gotta get that. This definitely isn't a trap. He would drop the line. <laughs> Space worm. So their partnership in the toy business really began when they were both students at USC. They were both business majors, I think, and neither wanted to work for their father. One did industrial real estate and the other one was in lumber. So Spud and Rich shared a lot of interests and one of them was breeding falcons. (laughs) They were playing around with different methods of shooting meat up to the birds in hopes of (laughs) space meat in hopes of training the birds to dive and catch meatballs. All right. They found the best way to do it. Uh, who doesn't want their falcon to know how to dive and catch a meatball? It's, you joke, but if that was a trick at Knott's Berry Farm, I'd be like, okay, I got to watch <laughs> oh, yeah, this for an hour. True. Yeah. So they found the best way to do this was with one of man's earliest creations, the slingshot. Goliath's Achilles heel. The Goliath's heel is a slingshot. Now it was already in the- David's st- meatball. He, Have you seen the meatballs on David? Perfectly proportioned. Asymmetrical, but in a good way. (laughs) They enlarge him to emphasize (laughs) his power. Michelangelo was a genius. He knew the right size. (laughs) Was that Michelangelo? I have no idea. Da Vinci? Speaking of meatballs. Socrates? The slingshot was an already established tool, but Spud and Rich decided to sell their own homemade slingshots. They bought a saw at Sears Roebuck on a monthly payment plan. They set it up in the garage and began making and selling slingshots, targeting bird enthusiasts instead of targeting birds. Uh, But they weren't interested. Why would they target bird enthusiasts to market a slingshot to them? Probably because of to, they, they thought of the wholesome way to use it, of like, we're trying to teach our falcons how to catch meat. Maybe you could do the same thing. <laughs> and that didn't really catch on that way. Okay. Well, let's... What do bird enthusiasts want to buy? Bird guns. Unless they were targeting bird-eating enthusiasts. Yeah. They're like selling uh, six shooters to a bunch of bandits. Like, yeah. it's for shooting bottle caps. Yeah. And they're like, okay. <laughs> Where's the, li- the nearest saloon? We're selling safe crackers. <laughs> so they called their slingshot, their brand of slingshot, they were calling Whammo for the sensation felt when it hit the target. Other articles say Whammo what? was meant to make you think of the noise the slingshot made when it was released. And blink. I, I would call it doink. <laughs> Plinko. They yeah. should call it Plinko. Yeah, Plinko. But if it was whammo for the sensation of hitting the target, then they are trying to shoot the birds. Well, maybe. I'm um, shoot them in the mouth. Ma- shoot them with shoot a them mouth full of meatball. When the moon hits your eye, I like, hit them right in the um, the back of the throat. 
Whammo. Whammo. In 1948, they moved the operation to Rich's Garage in LA, where they continued oh. making the Whammo, selling at the corner outside of a failed grocery store. When they switched from selling on street corners and stores to selling through mail order is when everything clicked, and they made apparently $100,000 a year. Whoa. Enough for Spud and Rich. Whammo. <laughs> enough for Spud and Rich to buy a small factory building in San Gabriel. Wasn't this, a, what, does Woodland Hills play into this? Not that I know of. For some reason, I thought this was in Woodland Hills. Maybe now? That, no, maybe. I don't no, know. I don't think so. Maybe I just saw a, a meatball in Woodland Hills once. And I'm connecting everything together. <laughs> but uh, keep garages, big theme in this episode. That's where... It's where the best work happens. Where the best work happens. Where all the invent, all the billionaires started in a garage <laughs> with $3 million from their parents to get going. Uh, Walt Disney, Steve Jobs, Green Day. The Kingsmen. In the beginning, the boys focused on sporting goods, but they kept an eye out for unusual items that were kind of more toy-like, like boomerangs and crossbows and pellet guns and throwing knives. Interesting weapons. Crossbows and throwing knives. Sidekick lackey weapons is what I wrote down. Yeah. These are the weapons of, like, not the main guy, but, like, the weird guy who, like, licks knives and stuff. Yeah. They started venturing out into a lot of silly ideas. They tried to push a lot of do-it-yourself fallout shelters during the Cold War. And during the height of the Jaws fanfare, the guys released a kit with plastic great white shark teeth. I have no idea if it was supposed to be like a gag to leave in or like leave it in like a washed up corpse and people think there's a great white shark. It's like Jaws. No, it's like Psycho. This woman's been shot nine times. No, it's like Jaws. Jaws has a gun. (laughs) (laughs) One of our, a Whammo brand gun. In another scheme, they bought a truckload of oysters from Texas with the hopes of opening up a raw fish bar in California. But when they couldn't get the restaurant going, they had to dump the oysters into the bay. (laughs) <laughs> and that's why LA is currently being overrun with oysters. Oysters, yeah, it's because of this one thing. It happens thing. with camels, it happens with buffalo, it happens with oysters. <laughs> and ostriches. And ostriches, yeah. <laughs> all the oyster farms. They should have just <laughs> shot them into the air for, uh, for for all of the rabid falcons we now have in Los Angeles. Who have a taste for seafood now. <laughs> but one idea managed to stick. They see food, they eat people. <laughs> Coming this fall on NBC. <laughs> Straight to Peacock. But one idea managed to... Straight to peacock is what falcons do when they see a peacock. When they see a peacock, straight to peacock. Um, Well, one idea managed to stick. In 1955, the boys bought in on an idea from a building inspector living in Morro Bay named Walter Frederick Morrison, who had started throwing a cake pan around the beach and would continue developing his flying disc until it became known as a frisbee. Wasn't it a pie? I thought it was a pie tin. Maybe I got that from Back to the Future 3. I think he was throwing a lot of crap around. (laughs) This sounds... Okay, they seem to be very throw-based but also just like taking sort of pre-existing weaponry and turning it into children's toys. It's almost like taking, I I don't want to use the word like folk toys, but like they're Mm. sort of like, they've always been around. Like a slingshot's always been around, but now we're going to brand it. So this guy, Walter Frederick Morrison, was throwing a cake pan, pie pans around, and he initially called it a Pluto platter based on all the Mars, it was like, Mm, Mars fever. Mars fever going on, but they changed it to Frisbee. Now, there kind of already was a flying disc being thrown around Yale um, that hailed... <laughs> The government's been tracking it. We shut it down over New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, Area 51 was built around a Frisbee. <laughs> what the hell is this? God, they're so much smarter than us. They taste so much better than we do. <laughs> so there was a guy at Yale throwing a flying disc. He originally came from Bridgeport, Connecticut, and his flying disc was a tin top from the Frisbee Pie Company, but it was right. F-R-I-S-B-I-E. That, that That's what I know from Back to the Future yes. 3 when he throws... No, no, no. He, uh, I think he prevents Doc Brown from being shot by throwing, <laughs> throwing a pie tin, oh, oh, pie and tin. then like the, he picks it up, and he's like, hey, Frisbee. 
and ZZ Top, who is also there, is like, what? This sounds like a dream you had. <laughs> and ZZ Top was there, um, and I didn't eat the pie. Um, but it's it's so it's Marty McFly, but it's it's like Old West Marty. I don't know. But the train it makes a lot of colors, but it also flies. And Biff <laughs> is there, but he's stupider. And Ted Danson's wife was there. But she marries Christopher Lloyd, but Christopher Lloyd from Taxi. From ta- <laughs> and then a woman sh- sitting in the darkness is like, oh, it's okay. It was just a bad dream. And you're like, okay. And it's your mom. I woke up. And this, this was a dream I had this morning. My mom made me feel better. Um, Hang on. I just got to play Johnny B. Good right now. <laughs> I simply have to play it. Whether uh, Morrison said that it was merely a coincidence and Frisbee was actually named after the comic strip Mr. Frisbee. I don't know whose side to take here. Who's Mr. Frisbee? I have no idea. It's not Nancy and it's not Kelvin and Hobbes. So what do I care? <laughs> It's not the character from the one Twilight Zone episode. Oh, Hocus yeah. Hocus Pocus and Mr. Frisbee. It's, it actually might have been that. It was around the same time. True. So maybe. <laughs> maybe that guy from the worst episode of the Twilight Zone got his own comic strip hey, spinoff. Hey, hey. <laughs> There's plenty of the worst episodes of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> but the boys, being spun and rich, were on the beach one day when they caught Morrison tossing the disc around, and it looked like a good time. So they bought the idea off of Morrison and began producing and selling their own. They kept saying the men were advertising geniuses, but no one mentions how that's true. Yeah, but they must have been. I know that there was ads for Frisbees, but there's nothing that from the Frisbee ad or how they dealt with it was like, oh, of course I would have bought one in 19. 19- yeah. But it it also is is weird that they're not really inventing anything. They're, no, they are repurposing. They're repurposing. Things. They're they're looking. They're keeping an eye out for interesting ideas and then buying them and branding Which them. Which is a type well. of genius. Sure. Sure. <laughs> In an Elon Musk sort of way. (laughs) (laughs) But the Frisbee blew people's minds in 1957 when they were introduced into wholesome post-war American culture. The Great Depression is over. Hitler is dead. Uh, And now let's wear... (laughs) Hitler is living in tunnels underneath Berlin. (laughs) And now let's wear plaid and play Frisbee and not look into PTSD at all. (laughs) There was another man pivotal to creation of Frisbee's aerodynamic design, and that's Steady Ed Hedrick. And apparently both Hedrick and Morrison, when they died separately, mind you, these two men didn't really work together if I read correctly they didn't live together like they didn't live their lives together but when they both died separately they both had their cremated ashes formed into frisbees (laughs) Hedrick's is at a museum and Morrison's frisbee remains with his family both these men who worked on the frisbee wait a minute so but how do they keep it in like the shape of a frisbee I don't think you're supposed to throw it around I have no idea maybe they glazed Uh it you should have told me before I I threw it in the pool (laughs) I threw it into a grave (laughs) this was his last wish he wanted to get stuck on somebody's roof (laughs) until the spring thaw his grandchildren wanted to play with him until they got bored four minutes later (laughs) but I don't understand like did they put like glue in it or something to because like how they must have or is it like a clear frisbee that they filled with I kind of thought ash. it was like that like maybe it was like a formed in, like they had a form they just yeah. filled it or like they like they put it into a mold and glazed it I don't know I didn't look into it I should have you're right I should have looked into how they did this I was sort of just amazed that two men did this independently that's pretty well I mean they they kind of were you know frisbee adjacent sure but they, I mean look we don't know how many people have been formed into frisbees when they were cremated <laughs> me I want to become a pogo stick <laughs> I want to fill an entire G.I. Joe. 
<laughs> I want people to make me into a golem. <laughs> a functioning golem. A functioning golem that can protect little Jewish boys. <laughs> like I wish I had. <laughs> and go to Argentina and kill Hitler once and for all. <laughs> Dig up those tunnels underneath <laughs> Berlin. So Rich and Spud must have thought the Frisbee was our golden egg. They must have thought it was all downhill from here. <laughs> but it was the next year's invention that truly made Whammo into something special. Okay, this is what I think I know what this is, but I, I might be wrong. It started when the boys were alerted to an exercise class where Australian kids were using bamboo rings around their hips, swaying oh, okay, to keep wrong. <laughs> swaying to keep the ring at waist level. Without really investigating the Australian version, Spud and Rich decided to start fiddling with a hoop of their own, initially starting with ashwood and bound together with rawhide. Once a prototype Whoosh. was... Thank you. Uh, I, I almost wrote, don't let him do whip sound, but <laughs> I, I forgot in my notes to don't let you start singing the rawhide theme song. Hang on. I did just get back from Knott's Berry Farm and I have a horseshoe with me. I could get something going. I could whip something up. You come back with spurs and a cowboy hat. <laughs> Say rawhide again? No. Oh, come on. Once a prototype was made, they realized they didn't know how to use it the way it was described to them. Again, they, they're just like culturally appropriating different things and are like, this is American now. <laughs> it, it took me four pages before I'm like, oh, cultural appropriation, that's what's bothering me. <laughs> so they found an Australian toy maker, but he himself could only twirl and whirl the ring around a few times. Maybe this thing is a dud. Maybe it won't work. But it was up to 22. <laughs> no, if my experiences with what you're talking about are any indication that's how they work <laughs> uh you have no groove i don't i mean i've got these sashimi hips <laughs> they're not meant for for that i need a bigger size <laughs> ring but it was up to a 22 year old research and development engineer dick gillespie who spent four dedicated hours to perfecting the hip movements to get this thing <laughs> moving and levitating four hours i mean this, this all comes back to elvis references but that's that i imagine what what a sensual uh yeah. four hours that must have been he he turned on very well um, I believe in miracles. <laughs> so now the boys knew That's this thing could work. White. That's not very white. Hot chocolate? Hot chocolate. I'd love some. Thank you. <laughs> so now the boys knew this thing could work. You can have some, but it has the ashes of the creators of Whammo in it. <laughs> it has the ashes of the creator of hot chocolate in it. Yeah, the, the from 1302. Singer. Yeah. No, it has oh, the, the lead, lead singer of hot chocolate. Uh, rest in peace. Um, I have no idea if he's dead or not. <laughs> he might be alive and still grooving out there. Rest in Frisbee. Yeah, he's, he's, still, he's still out there, Greg. Grooving. Rest in miracles. Um, so now the boys knew this. You tasty thing. So now the boys knew that this thing could work, but there's some adjustments needed to be made. They switched from wood to plastic so it would roll off the body better. Plastic, by the way, was kind of new at the time, which is weird to think about. Um, yeah, the, my, that, that's part of my thing also. Okay. Of like, what's this hot new material that's, that's going to give everyone cancer? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Cut from the same cloth. Um, now they had <laughs> you a- You and me are going to be- uh, we're, When we both die- Sued by big plastic? No, when we both die, we're both going to be independently formed into- it, we don't know what it's going to be, but it's yeah. going to be the same thing. It's going to be the gonna, same thing. Yeah, yeah. it's for sure going to be the, whatever it is. Immediately, both our significant others will roll their eyes. <laughs> yeah. And then they're going to have to explain it to their new husbands. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> To their long overdue and welcome new husbands. New husbands, yeah. <laughs> so now they had a working model ready to be mass produced. But what to call it? Twirl a ring? No, that's <laughs> twirl a hoop. Were, were these real things? or did Two you... of them. Two of the three were. I came up with one. No, no. So swing a hoop? No. After brainstorming, though, they landed on a perfect name for a plastic ring, a hula hoop. <sighs> I just want one of those. Now that I think, I'm like, what's a hula? <laughs> like a luau? Uh, yeah. That, I mean, it, it, wait, no, it was from Australia. It wasn't yeah, from... It was, yeah. That's, but, uh... but to them, it's just like the island thing. <laughs> it's from the West. It's from the... 
the far west. So they took some, oh, this is a great story. They took some hula hoops down to Pasadena Elementary School in the summer of 1958 and told the kids, hey, if you can master this thing, this here hula hoop, you can keep it. And they, the kids got very creative with the hoop because it was new and there was no established way to truly use it. They had no <laughs> reference. So kids were swiveling around their necks and feet, having a uh-huh. great time experimenting with it. And they thought, yeah, all right, maybe this thing has some life to it. Even engineer Gillespie's wife scoffed at the idea at first, but she got hooked on the hoop and three <laughs> months later, she climbed onto a table in New York to demonstrate the hula hoop in front of industry buyers. That was the hula hoop. That's so weird that they stole like a like religious. Who knows? It, I don't who know. Who knows what it is? They, it's like a folk toy. They it's stole like, a thing and didn't know what to do with it. And then we're yeah, selling it. Yeah, we don't know what it is. It really shows like they just gave it to kids and kids just figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I guess that's a good way to. Uh, create a toy but my mom I think used to be really good at hula oh, I can't yeah. I cannot do hula no, me neither. I don't have it skips a generation your kids are going to be uh, masters <laughs> of it yeah I'm not good at that you know who really got good at it because she dedicated a lot of time is Natalie Hayes and our friend from oh weird back then yeah I, I mean I've seen people like do it on their arms or on their their ankles or mm-hmm. I guess their neck also yeah you yeah, yeah, yeah there's, do it anywhere and that's the hula hoop guarantee. <laughs> you could do it anywhere. <laughs> Except in an enclosed space. <laughs> so this hula hoop was like the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Like it like took over the planet for a while. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird yeah. that people were just doing hula hoop. Yeah. And we make fun of like the hoop with the stick that, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you push I around. I bet when that came out, people were <laughs> it's like... The, it's the same toy. Oh, yeah. Now it's vertical. Or it's horizontal. Now you're now. the stick. In Baby Boom America, hoop sticks you. Uh, and that's how the Baby Boom happened. <laughs> Too many people got sticked. Within the first four months of this hula hoop being out, they sold 25 million of them at $3 a piece. That's ridiculous. Whammo was producing 20,000 hula hoops a day at plants in at least seven countries, which included Johannesburg, Paris, and Tokyo. Such a hysteria over the hula hoop was created in Japan that the police ended up banning them. In Richard Johnson's 1958 book, American Fads, he wrote that no sensation has ever swept the country like the hula hoop. (laughs) That was a year after it was. So like, give it a minute, dude. And it's such a like it's nothing. It's literally just a, a circle. It's a circle. It <laughs> as they as they joke in Hudsucker Proxy. It's for kids. It's just a circle on paper. Like they they almost literally reinvented the wheel, and people are <laughs> like, "What the hell?" Yeah, it to me is like the perfect. Okay, the hula hoop is not entirely innocent because it, it it implies a gesture. Um, but it's such a like an innocent naive. Did we just go through this with Elvis? <laughs> what you all want to be banned? You all want Steve Allen to put a dog in front of you now? It is like really innocent though, and it like it is. We all know that post-war America was not innocent at all, but like it really does capture that like yeah. late fifties, early sixties. The 60s, imagined, the imagined, yeah. But it is also pretty genius of yeah. like we're gonna sell two children. A circle, a circle made of plastic. We don't know what they're going to do with it. Yeah. And we're going to make millions of dollars. And it worked. An entire fad will grow around it. It's crazy. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. And it seems like a lark. It seems like any other, it's the same caliber as their other ideas, but this one yeah. just stuck. Yeah, maybe because it is so simple. Yeah. Of literally just like stand in it, move. Yeah. Instruction, Instructions. stand, move. Be groovy. Um, but it, it, it's, <laughs> Get funky. Get funky. It, it's in the same league as Twister, the game Twister, yeah. where it's just like you're around people and you're just having a good time yeah. and you're laughing and there's just a hula hoop around. And- but at least Twister has a little more like you spin the thing. You got to right. put the, like it's literally a hula hoop. You just yeah. <laughs> move your hip. Like you move your hips and keep so it up. It's so simple. It's very simple. And, which, and I can't do it because I am even simpler than a hula hoop. Uh, you have to not be simple to do a simple thing, basically. <laughs> and that joy of testing out products wasn't special to the hula hoop. Every toy prototype out of Whammo was given to the factory employees and 
they were told to go home to their families and have fun with it. Report back. Teach us how to play with this. Yeah, yeah exactly. This time it's a triangle. Uh, it stabbed my husband and son at the same time. <laughs> the atmosphere at Whammo was incredibly casual. Workers call their bosses Rich and Spud. Rich and Spud loathe the idea of being stuck behind the desk all day. They were known to play darts, fool around with their own toys as they chatted. <laughs> Sometimes a casual tossing of the ball became a workplace challenge. I bet you can't hit that. I bet I could throw it farther than you. <laughs> Just tossing a ball around, suddenly like everyone's involved and like, what's this going on? Well, we're seeing if he could beat him. <laughs> and meanwhile, there's like a bunch of defective hula hoops coming <laughs> off the production line. It, like reading about Whammo Factory, it was like a kid's idea of running a toy factory. Whammo's factory was often lovingly referred to as the fun house. The frisbee and the hula hoop were followed by another silly fun time amusement. This idea came from Robert Carrier in 1960 when he came home from work to find his 10-year-old son and his friends using a water hose on the painted concrete of the driveway to slide across. Oh. His invention would be less painful. Oh. It was oh. 19... Uh-oh. <laughs> Are you sure? Uh, is that possible? Oh, that's what I sued them over. <laughs> The idea, and that's why I have no front skin. <laughs> this idea would be 1961's slip and slide. Have you ever used a slip and slide? Unfortunately, no, I've never, because I lived in Echo Park on a hill. So slip and slide, it, it would have been more sl- fun or dangerous. Sentence. It's a death sentence. Yeah. I, I, the only time I've used a slip and slide is in my aunt and uncle's backyard, uh-huh. who are probably listening to this. Yeah, and because c- they have a uh, and. The lawsuit will be coming, but really big backyard. Yeah. And it's what area? Uh, in Westchester, New York. Okay. <laughs> you familiar? It's the Echo Park of New York. Yeah, it's the Echo Park of New York. Lots of hills. For reference, it's uh, near where Don Draper lived and it's near where Archie and the gang live. <laughs> so that's where I spent a lot of my childhood, right. <laughs> which is why I have this crown. <laughs> I was made honorary jughead of Riverdale. I'm asexual and I love hamburgers. Hi, I'm, I'm Jughead. <laughs> so they had a, a really really long backyard that sloped down and we had a slip and slide there once and that was the only time I used it. Those things send you so fast, <laughs> especially when you're going downhill and they're not that long yeah. and I flew off the like Whoa. designated slip and slide area and just like skidded down grass for like 15 feet. It would have been great if right behind the slip and slide was like a thorn bush. I went into like a bunch of bushes. <laughs> like that's pretty much what happens when you're on a slip and slide. It's kind of the commercial for slip and slide. <laughs> that's what they promise. Please play this in front of a gravel field. No, I've never done a slip and slide, but that it's was like kind of scary. Yeah, that's what I that's kind of the appeal. You slip, you slide. You also slide. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the commercials watching old TV growing up. Yeah. In between like yeah, Isla yeah. Lucy and Andy <laughs> Griffith and Green Acres, they would have commercials for about the slip and slide. Often people say this was a revolution for lower income families who couldn't afford a pool. Oh, well, we spend $10 on the slip and slide, and that's like the same thing. And everyone can. Your kids won't drown in this, they'll just be maimed. And what's more expensive, a funeral or a hospital trip for a maimed kid? Well, if you if you have to have a funeral, you can get your kids turned into a frisbee that you, <laughs> the survivors could play with. So Wemmo also put out a less iconic but still popular toy called the Super Ball, which was just a rubber handball. But at the time, it was a big deal. I was like watching, I'd read about Super Balls. I'm like, oh, this must be like, I, I thought it was a completely different thing. And then I saw an old commercial for it. It's not like one of those really bouncy balls. It's one of those really bouncy balls. But like the little hard ones or like a, like a bigger one, like a handballs. So I thought it was like a handball from watching commercials and like seeing pictures of it, but it, it it's just like a small rubber ball. It's just ball. a small rubber ball that okay. bounces. Okay. Like, the, the, I played with equivalent. Those are pretty fun. Those are a lot of fun. Another, again, these toys are designed to get stuck on your roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They really are <laughs> like... Maybe that's the well, how the company profits. It's like, yeah, they're going to get lost. This was brought to them by chemical engineer Norman Stingley, who was working for a synthetic rubber company. They sold 20 million Whammo Super Bowls. The Super Bowl was followed by its variation, the Super Gold Ball, the Super Baseball, and the Super Dice, which is just dice. Who are you, uh, who are you going for in the Super Bowl? 
Bowl this year. In the Super year. Bowl? I think I'm going to go for the Montana Frisbees. Um, <laughs> I'm going for the St. Louis Frisbees. <laughs> Apparently, they created a giant Super Bowl as a promotional item, and it was accidentally dropped out of a 23rd floor hotel in Australia. It shot what? back up 15 floors and then landed on a parked convertible car, <laughs> and it destroyed the car, but the ball survived the test in perfect condition. This is ridiculous. The, like the the Super Bowl that ate, the Super Bowl <laughs> that destroyed Australia. That thing could have just kept going. It could have kept going. Yeah, it knocked down. It destroyed Sydney. <laughs> we must keep it from bouncing to Malaysia. That's ridiculous. It, uh, uh, Godzilla choked on it. In Australia, they don't have kaiju. They just have really big, everything's bigger in Australia. <laughs> bigger spiders, bigger bouncy balls. One great folly on the part of Spud happened in the early 60s. On a safari trip to Africa, he discovered a species of fish that laid <laughs> eggs in the mud during the dry season. We can sell these eggs. We can sell. Oh, no. When it rained, the eggs hatched and fish came out. So Spud thought if he could buy these eggs, sell chunks of mud, add water, the buyers would get an instant aquarium. So he packaged and sold instant fish. But the fish that they brought back to America wouldn't mate. Thus, no eggs. Thus, no instant fish. The idea tanked. Okay. Yeah. I I thought this was going to be like, and they hatched a species they weren't expecting. And that's how we lost all of our corn. (laughs) And that's what happened to the Tasmanian devil. (laughs) It fell out of a 20-story building and the Tasmanian (laughs) devil came out of it. And we can't catch him. So in 1972, a chemist named Robert Cox and an inventor, Leonard Fish, presented Spud and Rich with something that they were working on. It started as an aerosol spray that could provide an instant cast for broken limbs. For the can, they invented two nozzles for this can. One of those nozzles produced a small strand of foam and shot it out 30 feet across the room. (laughs) Fish and Cox presented this to Spud and Rich as Silly String. That's... So Silly String was supposed to be... It, it wasn't supposed to be. It it had a second purpose. Okay. And the second purpose, the military also uses this foam to detect tripwires for booby traps. Oh God. The, the, <laughs> the instant casting doesn't work, but I've seen that in a movie and it looked pretty cool. Nurse, he's bleeding out. Get me the Silly String. Give me the Silly String. It won't save his life, but it'll give him one last moment of joy. <laughs> one last belly laugh, <laughs> which is what he's bleeding from. Terminal belly laugh. I love Silly String is so much fun. It is fun and it's stupid fun. It is. And it's so, it's probably so bad for the environment. Oh yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so much. It's, and it tastes great, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> and not only is it bad for the environment, but it tastes good too. <laughs> Used by the military also was banned in many cities, including Hollywood and Halloween 2004. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a nuisance. Well, like everything they've made, it's yeah. a public nuisance. It's a public nuisance. It's, um, it's a gremlin toy. It's something for mischief makers to yeah, it create is, mischief. It's very mischievous. This is almost like a, well, I mean, not everything, but it's, it seems like this is like, t- this company is targeted towards Bart, the Bart Simpsons the of Bart the world. The Bart Simpsons of the world. Yeah. Which was cute in ni- the sixties. Yeah. And then, and now it's, but Dennis Menace grows up. Truer words have never been said. As I once squeezed into a bet, you either die Dennis the Menace or you live long enough to become Mr. Wilson. Now I don't do comedy anymore. (laughs) And on that, uh, and thanks, I uh, tip your waiter. Uh, In 1971, Whammo purchased the license of a design of a lightweight foam board from Tom Morey, who came up with this idea in his backyard. Whammo would sell them as boogie boards. Mm. Around the same time, Whammo was selling their own hacky sacks thanks to John Stahlberger, who himself had learned the game from a friend, Mike Marshall, who he himself had learned the game from an unnamed Native American he knew on the Army I was going to say, this probably is some sacred tribal <laughs> thing, and let's put a Whammo yeah, on it. <laughs> we'll put a Whammo hacky sacks will go out to every kid in America. Every white kid in America. <laughs> white kid. Like the Frisbee and the hula hoop, it was already an established folksy game that Whammo had repackaged in mid-century American culture and 
been introduced as a fad. And when the fad faded, they entered the realm of novelty American pastime. Until fish got really popular. (laughs) We'll get to them. Um, Boogie boards were, before my uh, fear of the ocean really took hold of me, I used to love going boogie boarding on like the little waves by the shore. The man-made little waves in a safe environment where there's no fish. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I love boogie boarding. I've bought maybe 130 in my life because I can never just keep one clean. We always put it in the cellar when it's covered with dirt Ew. and bugs. Each of these items had their heyday, but all proved to be a fad. The problem with the hula hoop and the super ball or the frisbee was once a family had two or three, that was it. The item lasted forever, but by the end of the hula hoop craze, basically April to September of that year, like you couldn't give them away. The fad died out and right. nobody wanted a hula hoop because you already had a hula hoop. These, these don't quite have replayability. No, they don't. You can have a hacky sack pretty much forever unless you lock it on a roof. By the end of the 70s... Again, another thing? Yeah. You know, the Whammo Hall of Fame is just a rooftop with all of their different products on it. It saved the company was roofs, <laughs> flat roofs, uh, rain gutters. So all the fads pretty much died out by the end of the 70s. All these fads were just done. In 1982, Rich and Spud were ready to retire. What was the toy you were waiting for? Uh, I was thinking they made pogo sticks. They didn't make pogo sticks. Okay. It lines up though. It does certainly line up. Yeah. I, like I imagine like this was how the Raja of India <laughs> used to get around. and <laughs> The inventors of springs. But yeah, I, I thought they did pogo sticks. Oh, no. But which is I, why I kept bringing up pogo sticks. I thought Mattel came up with, sorry, I thought your thing came up with pogo no, sticks. No, no, no. I don't know who, to, who, who, this is our new investigative podcast. Who came up with pogo sticks? Richard Nixon. Um, so um, <laughs> Also Area 51. So in 1982, Rich and Spud were ready to retire. They sold Whammo for $12 million to Cransco Group. Then Whammo That's was... It? 1982. Yeah. Uh, uh, then, uh, that name sounds familiar. Cransco. Uh, and mm. then Whammo was upended when Mattel bought Cransco. Huh. It mm. wasn't mm. long mm. after Cransco purchased the Whammo that they shifted most of the production to Mexico and laid off a great deal of employees and hired temps instead. Mm. By the time That doesn't sound like Mattel. By the time Mattel took over, the Whammo Funhouse factory in Gabriel was no more. Over the years since the purchase, the employees dropped from 1,000 to 20, with many of the suites and offices completely abandoned. The history of the hula hoop got reimagined completely for the Coen Brothers movie, The Hudsucker Proxy. You know, for kids. (laughs) Uh, Arthur Spud Mellon died in 2002. Richard Rich Nur died in 2008. In 1997, Whammo became independent uh, from Mattel when a group of investors bought the company. And in 2006, it was purchased by Cornerstone, a group from China located in Emeryville. They were making a deal decent amount of money at that point and then it was sold to a hong kong toy making company called grand toys for 35 million dollars in cash in 2016 it was finally sold to intersport and stallion sport limited and the company has been limping over a decade now <sighs> digital age really kicked the company in the ass and now more than yeah, ever this, it this, seems this like not although i could see people getting into these things during the pandemic yeah like the hula hoop like there are fans like i was saying natalie hazen like there are fans of like a subculture of people yeah. who like love hula hoop like frisbees and and hacky sacks kind of will never go out of style at colleges but like they also isn't like a like, there isn't a big drum circles uh, especially like frisbee they built a whole sport around yeah it. exactly yeah and hacky sack i imagine there's competitive sacking <laughs> Uh, that's what billionaires do to companies. Um, it seems well, that's what they do to their employees yes, in the British sense. In the British sense yeah. How many can you sack before Christmas? Before Christmas. <laughs> and now more than ever, the items seem like retro novelties or even worse antiquities. Uh, a new president, Todd Richards, took over and he's really trying hard to breathe life into Whammo. That year, 2017, Whammo sent out ambassadors to Coachella handing out ha- <laughs> oh, God. handing out hacky sacks. And I read a note somewhere. I don't know what this means. 
they were legally required to be present for the band Fish to perform. And I don't know if that's a joke or not. <laughs> hey, if I made that joke earlier, it can't it be can't, real. It, it, it enters into the realm of possibilities. I mean, it, it is. You can't have one without the other. It's you can't true. have a fish concert without a hacky sack yeah. breaking out. The idea was to update the toy's image from college. They also went to Falconcella and started marketing slingshots. Uh, not happy about the idea? Falcons. <laughs> the idea was to update the toy's image from college jam band sport toy to modern hipster accessory which yeah hipsters are just richer hippies um <laughs> richsters richsters yeah uh, rippies no yeah rippies you almost got it <laughs> whammo also had a promotional treasure hunt where they hid frisbees around the south bay in venice and leaked out clues where to find them and they're also working on app versions of all their toys like like an app version of frisbee what? like you throw like you like frisbee go you make yeah exactly like or like you make a motion like a frisbee and then someone else with another phone will catch it Okay. It seems almost easier to play Frisbee. <laughs> it seems like a recipe for people to be throwing their phones accidentally. Throwing their phones into the water, yeah, near, <laughs> near the ocean. In all sincerity, I hope it goes well for them because their novelty toys are fun and can still be appreciated as more people are trying to part with their phones and live outside again. Yeah, I, I can see this having a resurgence easily. Especially with like TikTok being the current fad, making yeah. like content with slip and sides or Super Bowls <laughs> would yeah. be fun. And also like hula hoops never really go out of style. No, they, they, I predict, uh, uh, Greg, I think we should invest in hula hoops now because I predict some sort of uh, something's going to happen and people are like something's the next gotta big, give. something's got to give. Something's got to give. And like, oh my God, have you guys ever played Super Bowl? Yeah. Uh, I feel like every generation almost has like a blip. Like a small blip in every yeah. generation where like suddenly frisbees and hacky sacks and hula hoops kind of come back for a moment every like generation. So best of luck to Whammo. Hang on to your hacky sacks, everybody, because who knows when the next pandemic's coming? This maybe it'll be a digital <laughs> pandemic and we have to hacky. We, we, we have to stay outside now. We can't go in our <laughs> we homes. We can't go outside. So we've talked about uh, some folksy sort of toys. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about some more folksy sort of toys. Uh, she's a folk. <laughs> uh, hey. Don't spoil, things. Don't spoil things. She's more than just a folk. She could be anything. And she's also not the whole story. I won't say who we're talking about, yes. but a certain curvaceous lady, a, a certain perfect specimen. <laughs> this isn't just about her. Okay. Can't, like, wow. I wanted to learn the other things. Hate women much? So. <laughs> this isn't just about her. How about him? Huh? How about him? There's so much of this story that focuses on that, but like yeah. I wanted to get to the other stuff right, as right, well, right, but right. she is a big part of this. Yeah. So it's time, Greg, to put the pedal to the Mattel. <laughs> <laughs> Putting the Patel to the Mattel? <laughs> Mattel was started by the Patels, as we all know. So the story of Mattel half begins as I half did over in Poland. <laughs> By way of Denver, we've got Ruth Mosco, okay. who was born November 14th, 1916 in Denver, Colorado, the daughter of a large Jewish family who had come to America from Poland in 1907 as the Moskowitzes. Okay. But that was far too radically Jewish for 1907. <laughs> so even by Ellis Island standards, which is where her name was changed to right. Moscow, the Moscow Mule, as they called her. The wrestling name. <laughs> she started as a mule wrestler. <laughs> her dad was a blacksmith. Cool. Uh, would have gone great in Knott's Berry Farm. He would have had a job in Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> so the family ended up in Denver, where he was able to find railroad work, which is where Ruth was born. She was the uh, youngest of 10 kids. So by the time she was born, her mom was not doing that great. So, I mean... Who would be? Yeah. Uh, so she was actually raised by her 20-year-old sister with her actual parents being more like grandparents. Wow. To her. But really? I don't think it was like a Chinatown sort of thing. It wasn't a, a long-kept secret? 
Yeah, it wasn't like, why are grandpa and grandma breastfeeding me? Like, it wasn't that, that sort of thing. Right. Which is a question we've all asked our, <laughs> at some point in our lives. But Ruth didn't play much as a kid and didn't have many friends. She felt, quote, girl talk was, quote, stupid. Right. Uh, talking about hating women. <laughs> so she was kind of what someone of the day might call a tomboy. Okay. She didn't really like traditionally considered girl stuff. Instead, like any preteen girl in the late 20s, Denver did. She worked at her family's drugstore and she loved it. I bet. Not just because it had a soda fountain, which is why any normal yeah. child would have loved it, but because she was able to learn how a business worked. And that was apparently, she learned this was her passion. Was okay. Business. Running a pharmacy. This 12-year-old girl just walking around with a ledger, the hot new toy for a 12-year-old. She didn't want to play restaurant as a little kid. She wanted to be like, you can't buy any more Claritin D. You have to come back when the prescription's done. Are you making meth? Well, she wanted to play restaurant, but she wanted to be the person in the back with a visor on. Like, <laughs> how did we spend so much on French fries? We don't even have any garlic dishes. What are we doing with all this garlic? <laughs> Do we have to pay our waiters? <laughs> they make tips. That was her favorite game. They make tips. <laughs> they make tips. These were the seeds of what became her talent later in life, which was predicting market trends, innovation, and also she loved poker. Right. Meanwhile, there was another. Isidore Elliot Handler. Is Isidore? I don't know. This is a Jewish name and I should know it, but I don't know how Isidore, because okay. uh, I'm thinking of Isildur. Yeah, <laughs> I'm also thinking of that, yeah. <laughs> the most Jewish name I could think of. Isildur, Aragorn. Be careful calling him Jewish because he does mess up. And it's like blaming the Jews for everything that goes wrong in Middle Earth. So careful. I'm sick of all of your conspiracy theories that the orcs are Jews, Greg. You're on a slip and side slope right now. <laughs> <laughs> so Isidore was born on April 9th, 1916 in Chicago to a different Jewish family who soon moved to Denver as well, which is where he was raised until these two kids were both 16 years old. Mm -hmm. They met at a high school dance in 1932 and were together for the rest of their lives. High school sweethearts. Love it. All I want is for them to get married and be happy. Which Ruth's family was not thrilled about because little Izzy was an aspiring artist and they didn't want her getting mixed with that particular genre of loser. <laughs> The two stuck together and went to the University of Denver, where Izzy studied design and Ruth, I presume, studied business or running a soda fountain. Right. In her sophomore year, though, Ruth took a trip out to beautiful, sunny Hollywood. Beautiful. And landed a job as a secretary at Paramount. Ooh. How? I have no idea. She was probably sitting at the soda fountain at Schwab's doing research when an executive said, baby, you've got what it takes to be a secretary. <laughs> the way you're writing everything down that happens... <laughs> You can make it to the top of the assistant pool. You can make it to the top of the bottom. <laughs> Why she wanted to do this, I also don't know. But she took the job. Maybe if things had gone differently, I think she probably would have, or maybe this was her idea, she would have worked her way up to be a movie executive. And I would not have put that past her. Like, right. I'm sure that would have happened if what I'm about to say didn't happen. Right. So she moved out to LA and her little Denver simp, Izzy, followed her and enrolled at what was then the Art Center School of Design in Pasadena, now the Art Center College of Design right. in Pasadena. Pasadena, beautiful Pasadena, California. They lived in an apartment in Hollywood. She made him go by his middle name, Elliot, because she felt Izzy sounded too Jewish. Uh, Ellis Island anglicized thyself. Am I right, Ruth? My God. Let us Jews from Middle Earth yeah. <laughs> just go by our birth names. Isildur, Legolas, <laughs> I want to embrace my traditional Jewish name, Gimli. <laughs> <laughs> They're all Jewish now. I'm, I'm just going to say that the, yeah, everyone, the, everyone in, is Jewish. Yeah. 
Everyone is Jewish. A heaven. Except for elves, which are still wasps. <laughs> in June of 1938, uh, these two were married, Elliot and Ruth. So here they were in LA. She is secretary at Paramount. He an industrial engineer living in a middle-class home nestled in the heart of Hawthorne. I assume the heart because I could not find this address anywhere of where they lived in Hawthorne, but they lived in a house in Hawthorne. Okay. It probably got paved to make way for the Beach Boys house like it was paved to make way for the freeway. So to satisfy that struggling artist urge he had, Elliot started designing things in their garage Ooh. where it all began. That's where I keep my car. This was the same garage. This was Disney's garage. This was Steve Jobs' garage. This was Green same Day's garage. garage. Yeah. All the same garage. And the garage gets no credit. And no one remembers the garage. <laughs> they should have a garage hall of fame where it's where it's like the Heritage <laughs> Square Museum, but they just wheel in all of the garages from where all of these major companies were yeah. founded. <laughs> Honestly, I would pay good money I'd to go to that. Money. That would yeah. be pretty cool. I'd go up to uh, Bezos' garage. <laughs> Go to Elon Musk's garage where his dad gave him the deed to the sapphire mine or whatever (laughs) in South Africa that he turned into... Uh, his awful life. But um, Elliot started designing things out of their garage out of a hot new synthetic substance sweeping the nation. Lucite. Lucite. A type of plastic. What a beautiful child's name that is. (laughs) A Jewish child's name from (laughs) Middle Earth. What a dumb franchise. (laughs) That uh, we joke that someone could be named Lucite and it makes total sense. Uh, No, I don't think so. No, I don't think it's a dumb franchise at all. So he was making light fixtures out of Lucite and it was just a creative outlet for him. But Ruth, the shrewd businesswoman, stuck in the career of a secretary saw that these were really good these light fixtures made of lucite and suspected people would pay money for them and pay money for them people did in 1938 they started selling them under Elliot Handler Plastics uh-huh. which had an address listed at 3030 West Olympic in Koreatown but I don't know what that was because he was making these out of the garage maybe that was just like a I don't know, like where they got their mail. I don't know. Some scheme is going on. They made some money, but then in 1941, two things happened. First, their daughter was born and they named her Barbara. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. The Perhaps. second thing was they started a new company with a guy named Zachary Zembe. Oh, <laughs> who is, we love alliteration. We do. We're pro alliteration on LA Meek. Yeah, you can be an old comic book hero or radio. Or villain. Or villain. Uh, and as it turns out, more, more villain. And this new company with Zachary Zembe, they would be selling jewelry that Elliot would design made out of, once again, Lucite. The mm. company was called Elzac Jewelry, taking the first letters of each of their names, Elliot Zachary. And this weird little business apparently made them millionaires, but also uh, an interesting naming uh, method. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So it made them millionaires. But after just a few years in 1944, they had a falling out with the Zach part of the business right. and left the company to start a brand new one selling picture frames made of, you guessed it, Lucite. Lucite. <laughs> Once again. Once again, the old culprit. They started this one with Ruth's friend, Harold Matt Matson, and they used that same naming scheme and took the first few letters of Matt and Elliot's names and founded Mattel. Matt, ah. L, Matt Elliot Creations. Right. The business was going well, and Ruth even managed to land them a contract with Douglas Aircraft to make die-cast models of their Douglas DC-3 airplanes to give as Christmas gifts to their clients. So money was just rolling in. And then... World War Part the second one hit and Lucite I think literally needed to be melted down to bullets. Oh my god, literally? They not one of our jokes of they needed to turn chocolate into bullets. Like yeah. they literally need Lucite to make war machines so they couldn't make these frames anymore. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> the joke is now joke, dead. Joke, yeah. It's too meta. We're going to have to incinerate this joke and form it into a new joke. So to cope with this lack of Lucite, they had to resort to making picture frames out of gross old world wood. Ugh. Ugh. The kind of stuff that termites eat? <laughs> Termite food? <laughs> they make 
things out of that? Oh my god! Well, they had to knock a redwood down to build this picture frame. Gross. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where birds. That's bad for the Ooh. environment. Keep making things out of plastic. So all the. How am I gonna catch it from a tree? Watch me. (laughs) So all the while, lest we forget, World War Double was raging. So Elliot was drafted, thankfully only into the National Guard. So he was stationed at Camp Roberts in San Luis Obispo during the week. And on the weekends, he'd come all the way back down to Hawthorne to make picture frames. So this was how their World War II went with their son being born in 1944, who they named Kenneth. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Odd. But Elliot started getting bored with just making picture frames. So with the leftover scraps of wood they had, he started making dollhouse furniture. Weird side hobby, but people loved this. Yeah. Like, uh, have you, you haven't seen The Wire. Uh-uh. Well, one of the characters, Lester, uh, he's like always making doll furniture. <laughs> and that's like his cool little quirk. That's cool. This also, Mattel started the crack epidemic. Um, <laughs> so, so much so that they converted... It's not the crack epidemic, but people loved his doll furniture so much so, and also his crack, (laughs) that they converted an old Chinese laundry building in South Central at 6058 Western as their manufacturing plant. In 1946, Matt Mattson, in a Stuart Sutcliffe level of bad decision-making, had to cash out of the company due to health issues, and now it was just Ruth and Elliot. He with a love for design, Mm -hmm. she with a love for business. This is where Mattel really begins. In 1947, they moved to a new building at 5432 West 102nd Street, in El Segundo, right next to LAX, but it was time to refocus the company. After the Second Great War ended, the Great Roar began, and that roar led to a boom, a baby boom. Okay, boomer, but also, okay, business? (laughs) (laughs) Stop. The last few sentences were just like a weird hopscotch to a weird punchline that took everybody off guard. A ton of new babies were being born after the war, and Ruth correctly observed that there wasn't really a mass market for toys. Right. You'd get a toy in a toy store, but there wasn't really, it was like, you know, it was elves. Elves and Santa Claus were making them. Right. They were- Let's put away the joke of uh, Santa and the elves, okay? okay yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they only make stuff for Christmas, but, you know, there wasn't mass produced toys. Right, right, right. So to keep up with the massive amount of population shooting out of the hospitals, something had to be there. Making dollhouse furniture was only a small jump away from making dolls. Right. So Ruth and Elliot decided to try to fill this niche that she believed was just appearing. Plus, another company was encroaching on their doll furniture business and they wanted to get out of that. But from that, they vowed that whatever they ended up making, because their dollhouse furniture was being basically knocked off, they decided whatever we make it has to be unique enough that it wouldn't be easy for a competitor to steal the idea from you. But they didn't do dolls just yet. The first thing that they seemed to be doing were something called a birdie bank, which was like a little bird. They would drop coins down a chimney into like a piggy, not a piggy bank, but a birdie bank. Birdie bank, yeah. I like to make a little doll, please. (laughs) Oh no, what would you do with all the seeds? You got to throw a meatball up in the (laughs) air and the bird will fly away long enough for you to get your money back. (laughs) And this was synergy. Whammo synergy. And then the other thing they were doing was a make-believe makeup set, which who can imagine what that is? Yeah. Uh, but then they seem to focus on making affordable music boxes. Okay. At the time, again, like music boxes were like a fine European luxury import sort of thing. So they figured out a way to make them cheap and then put them into things. Okay. So this led to their first big hit in 1947 called the Yuka Doodle. It was it was a little ukulele that you could play, but it also had a crank on oh, the side. Oh, I've seen those before. Yeah, that you could crank out some music box yeah, music yeah, yeah. with. So it was a very popular, and then they followed that up with a little plastic piano. But from this, they learned a hard lesson in quality control because they cheaped out on part of the music box mechanism and they ended up losing a ton of money. So they vowed from then on to only make quality things. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because you're going to lose money. What a, what a wild idea that yeah, is. Yeah, who, who cares about what the customer wants? We're going to lose money because yeah. they're going to complain. Uh, they ended up selling over 11 million oh y- yuka doodles God. by really? 1957. They were churning out some toys for the next few years and they were doing well. But then came 1955 and they made a business move that separated them from, hey, remember that self-playing ukulele from the 40s? No, me neither. To, hey... Mattel. <laughs> and it was spelled M I C K E Y M O U S C. The Mickey Mouse Club went on TV. Uh-huh. And Ruth Handler had a crazy idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stab Mickey Mouse to death. <laughs> what if we break into a live broadcast <laughs> with a mouse trap and we kill him? <laughs> so, up to this point in history, there weren't really advertisements for toys. Right. TV was new and that was all advertising toothpaste. Radio was all about blue coal. Uh, blue coal, Senka, Lipton's iced tea. Lipton's iced tea. The Shadow. Yeah. The Shadow's just a commercial <laughs> for Orson Welles. <laughs> For the concept of justice and Orson Welles. <laughs> so stuff for toys was like in the papers and stuff like that, but only really around the holiday season. Sure. Or in like window displays. That's right. how people would see like, oh, mummy, I want I want a yuka doodle. Oh, the hula hoop, mummy. <laughs> mummy, oh, the, please. All my friends see it, mummy. Buy me the slingshot. I'd love to send meatballs up to our raptors. <laughs> so Ruth wondered, what would happen if there were commercials on TV for toys year round on a show watched exclusively by children, you would make all you, the money there would, you would be. Become. This was the gamble Ruth and Elliot were willing to take on Mattel to advertise on the Mickey Mouse Club TV program to the tune of five oh 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 thousand dollars American. Almost had it. No, almost had it. Well, I'm sorry I don't have Disney's innovation of how to spell. (laughs) Sorry, the Sherman brothers aren't writing for me. (laughs) Half a million dollars. It's crazy. In in 1955, for a full 52 weeks of commercials, that would be today around $5 million, which at the time was the entire value of the Mattel company. Jesus. But what toy would they advertise first? Why the Mattel burp gun, of course, an automated cap gun that looked like an AR-15 that they were selling (laughs) to children on the Mickey Mouse Club. And Mickey approves. (laughs) And they used their slogan, you can tell it's Mattel, it's swell. Oh, okay. So this was an unheard of gamble and could have destroyed them forever. But of course, it didn't. It worked incredibly well and changed toy advertising forever, much to the distress of parents all over America. It skyrocketed Mattel into the stratosphere and they've never come down even 70 years later. The power of the combination of toys, Disney, and showing kids toys, they don't have. They, that That is a recipe for success. That is such a great idea. It seems it's obvious. Yeah, it seems, it obvious. seems obvious now, but to have to stake everything you had on it Pretty scary, but yeah. obviously it worked. So they followed this up with more toy guns. In 1957, then they hopped onto the Western craze and made some toy Western guns complete with launching bullets. You and I would have wanted our parents to buy us all of that. There's a toy coming up that I still think about like, God, I would love to play with some right now. So also in 1957, they released the corn popper, which is the thing that you push and the balls in the bubble like fly around. You sure. Know? Sure. Yeah. Got to have my corn pops. Corn popper. Yeah. I got to have my corn <laughs> popper. They also uh, released a xylophone and snap Cute. lock beads, you know, like, kinda, oh, yeah. Yeah. Snap them. They're beads that snap together and you kind of sure, like, twist a, them. That, that'll keep me occupied for an hour. Sure. <laughs> then in 1959, they released the safety school bus, which is an ancestor of the little people toy line. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's where that started. That's cute. But 1959 was notable for another reason. Yes. This is the moment. 
many of our listeners have been waiting for. What's the year again? 1959. Okay. A few years earlier, Ruth had been watching their daughter Barbara playing with her dolls and noticed two things. The first was that she needs boobs. Uh, the, f- the first was that... <laughs> Big pointy boobs. The first was that she tended to play with the paper dolls because she was able to change their outfits. Mm-hmm. Limitless possibilities. Like sure. you can put a, this doll in anything you want. The second was that she would pretend that the doll, like her mom, had a career or was in college. Right. This wasn't something you could do. She's in computer school right now. She's a secretary at Paramount. <laughs> this wasn't something you could do with three-dimensional dolls because they were all... Three-dimensional dolls for girls back then were either dolls of babies or of moms caring for babies yeah 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 um have you seen the commercial for the movie no i haven't you'd you'd really like it it's pointed directly at you but it's a bunch of little girls playing with those like old victorian dolls and then suddenly there's a barbie and they're like they throw it's wait this is the commercial for the movie the movie and the commercial for the movie is a commercial for barbies it's for the concept of Barbie, but it's played as if it's 2001. Like the monkey seeing the... Oh, that's funny. It's very I, good. I gotta see it's this. It's very good. It flies up in the air and it comes down like a Malibu dream house. Yeah, like a, her Ferrari. <laughs> the, the bone is the little doll flying in the air and it's very... But what does it come down as? I don't remember, but it might not come... No, it does come down. It does come down. I don't remember. Well, if it's like Mattel, it never came down. Well, a few times it did. <laughs> uh, we'll get into it. It's a Super Bowl. It came down a couple times. <laughs> it crushed a car in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so the dolls at the time perpetuated the idea of motherhood and nursing yep. of children to young girls who at the time were supposed to only do that when they grew up. But I want to try fast cars and live in Malibu. <laughs> then on a vacation in Switzerland, Ruth got her hands on a Build Lily doll, uh-huh. which were not Build, it's B-I-L-D-L-I-L-L-I, a Build Lily doll, which was like a German line of plastic dolls of like a slender young woman who everyone keeps describing as sexy, which I find very weird because like, She's not a Cabbage Patch Kid, but she's not like a sex doll. Right, Like right, she's right. somewhere in between the spectrum of doll. Sure. That, uh, in terms of attractiveness of a doll. <laughs> I'm learning a lot about you right now. <laughs> the most attractive thing is a Cabbage Patch doll. The way you phrase it is like, she's not a Cabbage Patch Kid. I'm like, what, what do I, what? Huh? I mean, she's not one of those gross sex dolls. She's like a Cabbage Patch Kid. But like. <laughs> she's sexy like a Garbage Pail Kid. <laughs> a Cabbage Patch Kid you'll take home to mother, but yeah. a Garbage Pail Kid you'll just have some fun with it. That's, that's a bedroom material. <laughs> but like, she's just kind of European. Like, like the, sure. the way like people keep describing the build Lily as like this is like a pornographic doll, but like it kind I think there was like a comic strip based on her where like she would sometimes be in like a nightgown. Okay. But like it was not like this was not a sex thing. Like it was just a weird kind of European doll. Like sure. it was kind of I guess kind of sexualized, but it wasn't like it's a funny sex that thing. in the fifties they thought if they loosened up a little bit, it would be like she had like eyeliner. Chaotic yeah. <laughs> they thought it would be chaotic Caligula everywhere. Yeah. But when they loosened up, it just shows in that era, they they thought eyeliner and nightgowns was like this is a porno. This is a, this is a slippery slide. Uh, <laughs> this, this is, is a slip and slide, a slip side slope. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Ruth got her hands on one of these and formulated her big idea. <laughs> she got two hands on one. <laughs> so she would combine the customizability of a paper doll yep. with the sturdiness and appeal of a less sexy version of a plastic build Lily doll. Okay. It would be a doll that wouldn't just be raising kids. It was a doll that wanted more. Right. A doll that was a young independent woman that worked for a living and would show little girls that as Ruth put it, a woman has choices. Hell yeah. A doll that could be customized to show all the different jobs a girl could grow up to get. It was meant to be a feminist inspiration. She designed it uh, and also had boobs. She designed <laughs> it for which is, I'll, I'll get to it. We joke around about the boobs the boobs were like a, a sticking point i know for that. a lot of uh, not to put <laughs> you know not not for two men to put to find a point on it but <laughs> two fine points um <laughs> i know that it's going to be coming up because you never 
talk about that and you've already referenced it enough times like he's had to write that on paper so it's stuck in his brain now and he can't stop thinking about it not to be gross about it i'll get to her big old teeters but (laughs) but not now craig not now so she designed these dolls with the big old honkers yeah for for, she designed it for three years it took most likely with a guy named jack ryan no relation who He has a job we can't really talk about. He had to infiltrate part of Germany to get this doll. G.I. Joe's kind of based on him. <laughs> so this guy, Jack Ryan, who later sued and was awarded $10 million for claiming he actually invented the, the Barbie. Sure. Uh, yeah. Th- this doll. A guy named Jack Ryan came up with the idea of a doll. Iconic feminist doll. Uh, ironically, Ruth Handler came up with Jack Ryan and she sued Tom Clancy. <laughs> Most likely what happened is she came up with it. This guy helped her design it. Sure, uh, sure. But, you know, whatever. Yeah. In 1959, they were ready to release an 11 and a half inch tall plastic doll of a young woman in a black and white striped one piece swimsuit with eyes that glanced to the side. Yeah. And Audrey Hepburn hair that came either in blonde or brunette. Redheads were added. Uh, redheads need not apply until 1961. Call me 1961. Uh, <laughs> she was a teenage fashion model from Willows, Wisconsin. Oh, and really? her name was Barbara Millicent Roberts or... Barbie. Love it. Named after Ruth and Elliot's daughter, Barbara. That's super cute. Her middle name is Millicent? Millicent. Barbara Millicent Roberts. Barbie Millie? Barbie Millie Robbie? Bobby Millie Bob. Yeah. Barbie <laughs> Millie Bob. Bar- <laughs> it's so weird that this like heavily Jewish family made the waspiest yeah. possible toy imaginable. <laughs> Around their Seder dinner, they, <laughs> they announced that they're making Barbie. Barbie's terrified to tell people who her parents are. What Barbie, Barbie's actually Jewish. <laughs> What do you mean you don't know what Christmas is? She's like, I know what it is. I just don't celebrate it. We've got Inquisition Barbie. We've got Converso Barbie. Barbie who has to pretend she's Catholic. When you were talking about the rack, I thought you were talking about something else. (laughs) Nice rack. this weird bed? Yeah, Barbie who has to pretend that she's not Jewish so that she'll get into college. Um, No, I don't know what Manischewitz is. And I don't know how bad it tastes. Ew, gross. I like Coors. (laughs) Uh, can I come to the monster truck rally with you? I'm a big fan of the guy who's on the cross. He's neat or whatever. Who makes him? <laughs> who's he dating? What cars does he have? He's not wearing any clothes. Let's dress this guy up. They released a few years after Barbie, uh, Barbie's friend Judas, the, the line. <laughs> the Judas line of toys. So named after, yes. named after the doll. Elliot was against the Barbie doll. Why? Because he felt that no mother was ever going to buy her daughter a doll with breasts. Okay. But so here's the thing to Ruth. The breasts were one of the most important parts. You've said it, Ruth. What is the line in the goodies? It wouldn't be here if it wasn't. So he didn't like the idea that Barbie had boobs. He, I don't know if he didn't like it. I mean, who wouldn't, but <laughs> uh, I think his arguing is like, this is, pornographic this is uh, sure maybe Ruth, too much this sure. is 1959 <laughs> the wasps aren't ready for this uh, sure we jews love this but <laughs> can't get enough of this but uh yeah he just felt like this is not a good business idea sure it's maybe too mature for little girls yes people will not want their kids their little daughters and probably especially their little sons yeah, their little gi joe seeing this <laughs> all the good little gi yeah. joe you either grow up to be a build lily or a gi joe gi <laughs> joe met build lily in, in after the war but that's a different story uh, so she felt though that it was important for girls to see a doll with breasts because it would show them that 
that's, that's normal. Like women have breasts. That's normal, yeah. and it's nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed by. I absolutely agree with her. All of these not to be a perv, but <laughs> I absolutely agree that it, you need to show like, oh, your body, your body. This might happen to your body. Shouldn't be ashamed of that. <laughs> um, all that's what I say whenever I see a woman. Did, did I not? Should I not say that? All these good feminist intentions of Ruth Handler that not long after this were the focus of people who felt the image and ethos of Barbie were actually anti-feminist and harmful to little girls, which are also absolutely valid complaints. Sure, sure, sure. People felt that it created a false, unattainable ideal of women that no girl could possibly live up to. Just her physical appearance alone, which if you were to transpose her measurements onto an actual human, it's physically impossible. Unless you're Vampyra. Nobody. Not even even Vampyra. (laughs) This perfect specimen. Uh, But she's not human. She's not. Oh, that's right. She's not human. She's Vampyra. Um, But it's just not possible. Like, your legs cannot be that long. Like, your torso cannot be that small. But I'm sure that she wasn't thinking like, oh, little girls are going to compare themselves to... No, that's the the thing. She was not thinking that. She was thinking of these other things. Those were unintended consequences with good intentions. She had to beat one hill and didn't know that there was a mountain behind it. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, she completely leveled this hill not knowing there were a bunch of dwarves living in it. (laughs) All of these points, fair and true, but also what Ruth wanted to achieve and did achieve were also fair and true. The company has rectified a lot of the shortcomings over the years. So Mm -hmm. Barbie is a very complicated toy, but I'm not going to get into that any further today. For that, you're going to have to go see Barbie in theaters this coming this sometime. So coming this future. Uh, so back in the Daniel timeline, Barbie hadn't even been released yet. Mm-hmm. Elliot didn't think it was a good idea, but she took it to the New York International Toy Fair in March 1959 and nobody there thought it was a good Aye. idea either. This rattled her. Like she was got no support, not even from her husband. Like nobody thought this was a good thing, but she felt very strongly about it and she released it anyway. And within the first year, they sold 300,000 Barbies. <laughs> if it was an instant hit, Ruth was right. Suck it, Elliot. Suck it, New York International Toy Hell Fair yeah. of 1959. But the real genius move by Mattel and Barbie, did, did well, you didn't have sisters, so you didn't grow up with Barbies. No, I had a uh, female cousin who I was close okay. to. So I did, I, I interacted with Barbie a couple times. Okay. I, I met her. In, I met her. Yeah. I, I, it's very cordial. I think I went to high school with Barbie. But yeah, my sister always talks about, because she always, she had a bunch of Barbies mm-hmm. and I was not allowed near them because... Sure. Uh, one time I you had a like, picture on the wall, like, do not serve this man. <laughs> do not Barbie this man. I had to say 500 feet away from every Barbie. <laughs> do not Barbie this kid. <laughs> Cause I guess like one time I like asked really sweetly to her. I was like, can I play with your Barbies with yeah. you? And she's like, yeah. And then I immediately ripped its head off. <laughs> so I was not a- allowed near the Barbies. Listen, I'm on their side. That's fair. You're a monster. Well, who's I bet gonna- you bit it off like you were Ozzy Osbourne. Well- <laughs> Two. It was Bat Barbie that I bit the head off of. You, you Elizabeth shorted Barbie? Left her in two pieces? Uh, this is an unrealistic depiction of a woman, so I ripped its head <laughs> off. It was, I'm the feminist, Greg. I'm the feminist. So, okay, so, but the real genius move by Mattel with regarding Barbie was that the doll itself was sold at cost for $3. So they weren't making money off of the doll. Okay. But all the outfits and accessories were oh. sold separately and they cost between $1 to $5. And when you know it, each Barbie came with a Barbie clothing catalog. So all the profits on Barbie were coming from the add-ons to Barbie. That is George Lucas level genius oh. in, com- in terms of marketing. It'll be coming up later. Oh, geez. The Phantom reference. This was the first time marketing had been done like this and it was just printing money for Mattel. Yeah, like yeah, they yeah. were just raking it in and everyone was happy except Barbara Handler, their daughter, who was 16 when Barbie came out and was teased mercilessly by the oh other kids no. at Hamilton High School near Culver City. Really? I mean, why would they not? 
uh, you're Barbie, you're Barbie. Yeah. yeah, I'm a millionaire. Yeah, I'm a millionaire's <laughs> daughter. I'm iconic. People tried to rip her head off whenever they got near her. It was a whole court case. So by 1968, the Barbie fan club had 1.5 million members oh in the US. God. And Barbie was getting 20,000 fan letters a week. I don't know who those were going to. And and they followed through with Ruth's intentions for Barbie being like she could be anything. This yeah. is an ideal for girls to look up to. They released uh, college graduate Barbie in 1963. Mm, congratulations, Barbie. Uh, magna cum laude, Barbie. <laughs> Astronaut Barbie in 1965. Surgeon Barbie in 73. Business executive Barbie in 86. Airline pilot, diplomat Barbie in 90. Barbie's run for president a bunch of times. She uh, must have ADHD and get uh, bored with uh, and re-obsessed every two weeks. She's uh, Jane of all trades, but where do you the master of Barbie? <laughs> in 1962, they released the coveted Barbie dream house. Oh, right. Okay. That was coveted. It, yeah, for I was talking with Melissa about Barbies last night. She had a Barbie dream house. She yeah. loved it. Like little girls all wanted a Barbie dream house. Yeah. Uh, in 1965, they added bendable legs and eyes that could close. Cool. And in 1967, that I that's why I went up to the Barbie and I closed its eyes. <laughs> with my I two don't want fingers you to see what's going to happen before I ripped it. <laughs> uh, and in 1967, they had the twist and turn Barbie that twisted at the waist. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, what's that? Over there? Huh? <laughs> that, and then she could see me coming. <laughs> and they, they also... Look at my head. <laughs> I was trying to create a new Barbie. Off with her head Barbie. Yeah, Marie Antoinette Barbie. <laughs> and they also... Yeah, I, I brought my GI guillotine. <laughs> they also modeled her fashion styles in the 60s after Jackie Kennedy. Oh, wow. Okay. In 1971, they released the iconic Malibu Barbie, mm -hmm. which I think is where a lot of the negative connotations of Barbie today come from. Really? Of being like, you know, the, the blonde beach oh, right. dummy. Like sure. that, I think it comes from Malibu Barbie. Don't ask me. I'm a girl. <laughs> That's from The Simpsons. That's Malibu Barbie. No, Malibu Stacy. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, please. No affiliate. Yeah. No affiliation. Do you think it's related? But the, Were they referencing something? The, but also the Malibu Barbie, I think, was the Barbie where they moved to so her eyes now look forward rather than like coyly to the side, which was applauded by the people who thought you know, who, she should be side eyeing other dolls, being like, "What did you wear? Yeah. The dollhouse today." She should be looking yeah. ahead, only concentrating on what's her path. Yeah, her path. How about you sweep your own porch, Barbie? <laughs> so, and it, the broom is not in the catalog. <laughs> 1980 saw the first black and Latina Barbies, Hell and yeah. in 1992 they released the best-selling Barbie of all time, Totally Hair Barbie, which had long blonde fried-out hair that went all the way down to her feet. Wow, top-selling Barbie of all time, which I think my sister had. Okay. Uh, sorry, had, not head. <laughs> well, she no longer had a head. <laughs> More recently in 2016, they also released Barbie's new body types of curvy, petite, and tall. Oh, cool. And of course, uh, where would Barbie be without her boyfriend who burst into her life in 1961? Ken, Ken, named after Ruth and Elliot's son to date the doll named after their daughter, which is weird, but I guess... Well, I bet they were like, uh, you haven't been picked on like your sister. Na name uh. the boy Ken. <laughs> no, please! <laughs> no, you're not just a doll. You date your sister. <laughs> People are going to pants you in the gym to make sure that you have genitals. <laughs> so you better start bulking up down there. <laughs> In 1913, they gave Barbie a friend named Midge, and in 1965, Midge. a sister named Skipper. Sister, her sister's name is Skipper? Her sister, her little sister. She has three sisters, but the first one's name is Skipper. Skipper unfortunate. They also gave Ken a friend in the 60s named Alan, which was the name of the real Barbara Handler's husband, which makes things even weirder and yeah. grosser. Barbie and Ken broke up on Valentine's Day 2004, which is a fight I would have loved to have seen, but got back together on Valentine's Day 2011. So Barbie, obviously, one of the most iconic toys of all time. Sure. Mega hit for Mattel. Iconic. Like, iconic. Like truly, truly. Yeah. Like Mickey Mouse level iconic. Yes. They even put one 
in America's time capsule for the bicentennial in 1976. And if they just rested off of that thick-ass laurel branch for the next 60 years, nobody would have even minded. Right. But they didn't stop there. First things first, they moved to a bigger headquarters at 5150 Rosecrans in Hawthorne. Okay. Then they went public on the stock market in 1960, and even more money came pouring in. And then came a string of iconic toys. 1960, Chatty Cathy, a doll you could pull a string and it would say things like, I love you and may I have a cookie, which makes the whole I love you thing sound manipulative. Um, <laughs> uh, they could have been two separate tracks, but for some reason, it's always the same track. It plays at once. Yeah. The pull string technology, revolutionary. This was the first doll to do that. Right. Chatty Cathy. That's crazy. My favorite part of Chatty Cathy, you know who did the voice of Chatty Cathy? Who? June Foray. <gasps> the voice really? of Rocky the Flying Squirrel. Ah! That was Chatty Cathy. This became their second most popular doll behind Barbie. Yeah. 1961, they released Rock-A-Stack or Rack-A-Stack? Rack-A-Stack, I think. Rock-A-Stack? I think Rack-A-Stack is what I've heard before. Yeah, which is the, it's the stacking rings. Yeah. 1965, they released the C&Sa, which I just bought for my nephew. And to be clear, the year is now 2023. Uh, Uh, Is that the, you pull the string and and it it turns? The cow says, the raptor eats meatballs. The Barbie says, don't touch my head, Daniel. (laughs) Clever B word. Clever B word. (laughs) The chatty Kathy says, well, I love you. I need to borrow money. (laughs) I love you. What's the expiration date on your credit card? (laughs) Also in the 60s, they released Baby's First Step, which was the world's first walking doll. Also, creepy, creepy crawler. They released Creepy Crawlers. Mattel's responsible for Creepy, creepy Crawlers. crawlers and inc- the, my favorite commercials. Yeah, and Incredible Edibles. They they did oh, that really? also. I wish I had sisters because that that from the commercials, that was the only reason to have Creepy Crawlers was to throw bugs at your sister. And they'd be like, oh, God. We, we talked about this on Candy is Dandy. I used to eat what I thought were creepy crawlers. Maybe it was incredible edibles, but maybe they had an edible version of creepy, incredible edible creepy crawlers. But I remember at a friend's house making those things, baking them and then eating them. So I don't know what I was eating, but I was eating something. You were eating something that- That was shaped like a bug. Yeah. And I made. And I made it. I found it and it was mine. (laughs) And you can't take this. And you can't take it out of my system. (laughs) So Ruth became president of the company in 1967 and they were the number one toy maker in the world. Mm -hmm. But what about Elliot? Well, let's hear it for the boys. Elliot wanted to come up with a powerhouse iconic Mattel toy a la Barbie, but geared toward boys. Sure. Wait, what was that word? Gear? Well, Elliot brought together a team of car designers from General Motors and also rocket scientists who come up with designs for little die-cast toy cars that looked cool and looked fast. On top of that, they came up with a type of perforated plastic wheel that would spin really fast. And on May 18, 1968, the first 16 models of Hot Wheels came out. kidding. The Sweet 16, as they called them. Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels was their, their boy version of Barbie. And it is. Yes. Yeah. And all we'll talk about the level of success Hot Wheels has had, but yeah. Hot Wheels is a big deal to yes. uh, a lot of people. You're looking at one. So the Sweet 16 models, they were the Beatnik Bandit, Cheetah, 67 oh Firebird, God. Plymouth Barracuda, Camaro, Corvette, Cougar, Eldorado, Fleetside, Mustang, T-Bird, Volkswagen, Dodge Diora, Ford J-Car, Hot Heap, and Silhouette. And I'm famously not a car guy, but Hot Wheels are so cool. They are very, I love very how cool. I used to have I used to have a ton of them and I still see them and think like that looks like so much fun. <laughs> and you don't even do anything no. with them. You just like hold them and you hold go them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sometimes you'd get like a track. Yeah. Like but they wouldn't them. go on their own. No. You had to play They were just little cars yeah. or like concept cars and they were so cool. Beatnik Bandic is a great look. I think that's 
Ed Roth's? It hits such a little boy sector in yeah. my brain. Like, still, which is most of my brain is the little boy, <laughs> little sector. boy sector. You heard the things I said about breasts earlier. <laughs> you stopped this recording to eat candy. Yeah, I know that you're a little boy. <laughs> Greg, they're not supposed to know about that. <laughs> can we just play a quick game of Jack's and then we can keep going? <laughs> we're not the only ones who feel that way. No. They were another mega hit for Mattel. From what I saw in several places, they have overtaken Barbie as the top toy for Mattel wow. and are the number one selling toy in the entire world. With only, How many Hot Wheels would you estimate have been sold? Over time. Over time? Yeah. In the billions, probably. Eight billion. Eight billion. How many people are on this planet? Eight billion. Eight billion? <laughs> Coincidence? Uh, so now Ruth and Elliot had their signature toys, and Mattel was untouchable. And yep. then they made a bunch of bad decisions. Oh, no. The 70s got off to a bad start for Mattel when their factory in Mexico burned down, Fire Purifies Doll, yeah. in 1970. <laughs> and then a shipyard strike in 1971 compounded that, creating a serious supply chain issue for them. So they started losing money. Sure. To deal with this problem... And by that, I mean keep their stock price high. Their chief financial officer started cooking the books and counting orders that had been canceled because of the supply chain issues as orders fulfilled. So they were lying. He did this apparently with Ruth and Elliot knowing full well what was happening until 1973 when they were forced to publicly admit that the company was down $32 million and the value of their stock plummeted. Mm -hmm. The company was investigated by the SEC. The CFO was fired and the banks dealing with Mattel demanded the handlers resign from the company. Ruth and Elliot pleaded no contest to the charges and in 1978 were found guilty of stock manipulation and misleading investors, were fined $57,000 each and sent to 41 years in prison. Oh my God. <laughs> Imagine if that's how the story ends. Oh my God. This was somehow suspended as long as they did 500 hours of charity a year for five years. That's somehow because they were rich. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's they would have been in prison for the rest of their lives. If And they don't get to design the prison. That's just It's just the way it is. <laughs> and they can only take one toy in there with them. Prison is hell. Uh, my favorite toy is this file. <laughs> My favorite toy is a universal, the big Alcatraz key that you can buy in the gift shop. They stuck with the company for another couple years, but finally cashed out in 1980 for $18.5 million, which seems very low. Yeah. But aside from the federal crimes of its executives, Mattel just made some bad decisions in the 70s and 80s. They were buying up a ton of other companies and products, which started stretching them kind of thin. Mm-hmm. In 1971, they bought the rights to Uno. The card game. Yeah, one of my favorites. Also in 1971, they bought the Barnum and Bailey Circus. (laughs) (laughs) The toys? One of my favorite circuses. Yeah, they, they... owned the circus. Wow. One thing they didn't buy in 1977. We bought a circus. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, We bought a circus and it almost bankrupted (laughs) us. One thing they didn't buy in 1977 was the contract from Mr. Special Edition himself, George Lucas, to make toys for Star Wars. Oh my God. They said no to him because there had previously never been profits from a movie license for toys and they thought it was just going to be a money-losing endeavor. Oh my God. Yeah. That's, oh my God. that's another like, we don't want to sign the Beatles sort of situation. That is, I'm like goosebumps from hearing that. Imagine who got fired for that. Like, oh. not like fired so hard. That is literally like the kids in the late 50s, early 60s, every kid, well, not every little girl, I think, wanted Barbie, right? Oh, yeah. And every then in kid post 1977 <laughs> wanted something from Star Wars. Star Wars. I want a Bosque. Yeah. Every kid wanted a boss. I want the big thing that the Jawas drive around in. <laughs> I want the trapezoid. Every frame 
you were able to sell a new toy. Yep. Every frame of A New Hope. Yep. It's a toy. Hey, we're Mattel. We don't need that. Okay, so here's how they tried to rectify this. They bought the rights to the toys for American Graffiti. (laughs) They bought all the rights to Willow. (laughs) Um, Okay, so a few years later, 1982, they decided to make their own action figure line to compete with Star Wars. Sure. They came up with three prototypes. One was this jacked guy who had Boba Fett's helmet. One was a guy who had a tank for a head. And the third one that they ended up going with was He-Man. <gasps> really? Which in itself is a Conan the Barbarian knockoff. Sure, 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 so sure, sure. He-Man was their response to try to make up for what they lost with Star Wars. And it made them $400 million a year for a while. But back in 1977, after losing out on Star Wars, they also had Mattel Electronics. That's what they started. Okay. Which would focus on making handheld video games. But when the young video game industry slumped in the early 80s, Mattel Electronics almost pushed the company into bankruptcy and they almost had to close until they were bought by a venture capital firm in 1984 for a mere 231 million dollars but the damage was done in 1985 they officially lost their spot as the top toy company and fell behind hasbro hasbro is the probably the one that got star wars uh i i don't know maybe maybe they did okay Uh, they they fell behind the star wars toy company (laughs) (laughs) they're only item is Star Wars. (laughs) They did nothing else. Well, there was a company that only made Bosk dolls and even that became bigger than Mattel. They own the ocean. All of it. (laughs) So the company had to tighten up, they had to downsize and refocus and to do that they decided to devote themselves to what they did best making Barbies and Hot Wheels. They started churning out some 50 new types of Barbies a year with 250 accessories. This kept them afloat until 1988. They were given a Star Wars-like opportunity, and they were not going to let this one get away. Uh-huh. They got the license to make toys for Disney. Okay. And just like that, they're back. Sure. Mattel yeah, is, is back. The 90s was just a flurry of getting back to what almost ruined them the first time, yeah. buying up other brands and companies and spreading themselves thin. First, they moved into their current headquarters at 333 Continental Boulevard in El Segundo. They're okay. still there. Oh, wow. Really? They're in El Segundo? They're in El Segundo. Around this time, also, they bought Polly Pocket. They mm. got a deal with Hanna-Barbera to make toys of all their characters. We don't have Han Solo, but we have Magilla Gorilla. <laughs> Okay, you joke, but I'd rather have Huckleberry Hound than a Han Solo toy. (laughs) And is Huckleberry Hound not the Han Solo (laughs) of Hanna-Barbera? They tried to get more into the boys' market by releasing things like Arnold Schwarzenegger action figures and Gak... In 1993... say it like that. Like, I should be like, whoa! (laughs) Greg, you should sit down for this. Unfortunately, they... (laughs) I loved Gak. I know, you're the type. (laughs) A slimy... Slimy little brat. In 1993, they bought Fisher-Price for over a billion dollars. That's a good... That's good. 1994, they bought J.W. Spear and Sons, who owned the international rights to Scrabble, and also the Kranz Company, who owned Power Wheels and Whammo. Okay. In 1995, they bought those sexy Cabbage Patch Kids. <laughs> uh, they also almost merged with their longtime rival, Hasbro, but luckily for us and for uh, just the free market, that fell apart. Yeah. In 1996, they bought Tyco. Okay. 98, they bought the Pleasant Company who made American Girl. That's a big deal. That year, they also helped found the UCLA Mattel Children's Hospital, which is where they bring all the broken toys from Toy Story. (laughs) It's mostly Sid is giving them all of their customers. (laughs) By the late 90s, they were making around $5 billion a year and were recognized, again, much like Whammo, like people called them Ruth and well, they weren't with it, but 
back in the day they did, but they were just kind of seen as like a good company to work for. Yeah. They offered in-house daycare. They had gyms for their employees, good vacation days. Fridays were all half days and they were closed every year between Christmas and New Year. That's fantastic. Just, it seemed like a good, maybe still seems like a good company to work for, but then they just couldn't help themselves and decided to get back into the video game game. Good luck. In 1999, they bought the learning company for $3.5 billion. I've seen those commercials. The educational games like Crime in San Diego, Reader Rabbit, and they immediately started losing money and their stock tanked again. They weren't going to let another video game almost ruin them. So they sold the learning company quickly and ended up losing almost half a billion dollars in the deal and having to pay over a hundred million in lawsuits by their shareholders who felt misled by this. This is considered to be one of the worst business deals ever made and it almost tanked them again. So again, they decided to refocus on the basics and that meant Barbie. Yeah. They started doing animated direct-to-video Barbie movies that mm-hmm. did well, but overall Barbie was starting to lose ground to the hot new Bratz dolls. But <laughs> but then oh now God. that's a they have big that's a head I could rip that's off. A- <laughs> You could really, really just get some satisfaction. Sure, it's a hate crime, but... (laughs) But then they found a Disney-level savior once again, and in 2000, they got the toy rights to both Nickelodeon and Harry Potter. Oh, And just like that, Mattel's back once more. That'll do it. And that's kind of where Mattel stands today, just... Like they're big and yeah. they're popular. In yeah. 2000, they sued the band Aqua for their Barbie song. Why did I sue them? Uh, they said it violated their trademark and made Barbie into a sex object. The case was thrown out, but they sued them yeah, yeah, for yeah. like, our Barbie's not sexy. She just has breasts. Right. Uh, they can sue every blonde woman then. And I do. How about, how about? <laughs> Just don't tempt me, Greg. <laughs> in 2002, they stopped making toys in the US and moved exclusively to China. Mm-hmm. In 2011, they bought Hit Entertainment, who does Thomas the Tank Engine. Bob the Builder and Wishbone. Okay. Ooh, Wishbone. In 2018, they launched, I know of all those, I was like, oh, they do Wishbone. Wishbone? Um, <laughs> Dweebs. <laughs> There's one thing I love more than Hot Wheels, it's Wishbone. Where I get all my history lessons. <laughs> Wishbone. <laughs> I get my aggression out with Hot Wheels and I get my history from Wishbone. Um, in 2018, they launched Mattel Films, which is the company behind the upcoming Barbie movie coming sometime. Sometime Greta Gerwig is a perfect fit for that and I'm so excited to see it. In 2019, they released the Creatable Dolls, which were a line of gender-neutral dolls. Cool. Mattel toys are sold in 150 countries, but alas, they are no longer the top toy company in the world as they lost that title in 2014 to... The Lego group. Oh, yeah. Once they start cranking those movies out, you're going to lose yeah. the Lego. Boo-hoo. They're not making $20 billion yeah. a year. They're making 19 16, Yeah. <laughs> so the Handlers, meanwhile, post-Mattel, went on to do their own thing, mostly Ruth. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the early 70s, she survived breast cancer. Oh, so she went on great. to start the Nearly Me company, which made synthetic breasts for women who had to have them removed because of breast cancer. Right. Betty Ford was one of their clients. Oh, wow, okay. Ruth went on to live until April 27, 2002, when she died of complications from a surgery for colon cancer mm. in Century City. Elliot followed on July 21st, 2011. The two also uh, had helped found the Temple Isaiah near Century City. Oh, wow. Their son, Ken, sadly died in 1984 of a brain tumor. And Barbara, the real human Barbie, is still out there waiting to <laughs> invest in an educational video game company. <laughs> well, it's going to hit. It's, it's one day it's going to hit. People are going to get tired of these shoot 'em up games. They're going to want to play Reader Rabbit again with their hula hoop. They're going to want a gritty reboot of the Oregon Trail game. This time, the whole thing is dysentery. Dysentery has never been so graphic. <laughs> I learned a lot about dysentery and I didn't want to. <laughs> The movie's just, it's not even called Oregon Trail, it's just called Dysentery. <laughs> so that's Mattel. Huge contributions to toys from Los Angeles. And they both have, bo- you were right in that Hot Wheels 
and Barbie, specifically those feel two, very, feel very Southern California. Yeah. Hot rods and bimbos. Hot, <laughs> hot rods and beach life. <laughs> hot rods and blonde bimbos <laughs> who have business degrees and uh, run very successful companies. Who are also astronauts, and yeah. sometimes they were the president. <laughs> They're both of their era, too, like, you know, yeah. Yeah, early yeah, yeah. 50s, early 60s, through mm-hmm. 70s. Car culture in LA influenced so many things. It really did. Uh, we should probably do a car culture episode. Um, <laughs> like we haven't. I feel like everything we've done has been a car somehow. culture. It, it ties back to car culture, yeah. This made me want to play with toys. I bet it did, yeah. You, you just bringing up the original 16, was it 16? of the, the Sweet uh, 16. Sweet 16. I was like, oh, I wonder if I could just like I buy know. them. Um, well, I, we, went, we were in CVS yesterday and there was a whole display of Hot Wheels and I was like, oh, oh look, oh, this one looks like a turtle. You asked Melissa how many you can get. She's like, just one. <laughs> oh, but come on. Come on. You get to buy all your Barbies. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Shopping cart at Riot full of Barbies. <laughs> I work hard for my Barbies. Like a, I work hard for the Barbie. <laughs> Who brings home the Barbie in this household? <laughs> you riding around in your Hot Wheels. What do you mean I have Who's it going to race against if I go my one? You know, I'm always interested in see what the net, like, I don't watch children's TV anymore. I watch daytime TV, but I, I sorely missed our toy commercials. Yeah, toy commercials are really great. I, yeah. I watched a creepy crawler commercial and yeah, it just Be like- still my heart. Uh, good, like the fake Vincent Price, but it's yeah. just so much fun. <laughs> but yeah, like these toys just unlock, I'm sure for a lot of people listening, yeah. it just unlocks deep pleasure centers in your brain. And I'm not just talking about the Bill Lilly doll. <laughs> for me, it was all the X-Men toys- when the cartoon yeah. came out in the 90s, I think I had all of them. And seeing pictures of them, I kind of get like, oh, cute. But one day I saw a catalog yeah. online and I was like, it was the Ratatouille moment we keep talking yeah. about. It. Like I was, I'm like a little kid in front of like crisscross in front of the, the- They went into your Cyclops eye. <laughs> <laughs> you just mentioning the X-Men toy, which has nothing to do with what we're talking no, no, about. No, no, no. But it made me just remember a little handheld electronic X-Men game I had. And that just like, God, I, could pl- I would play that for three hours straight right yeah. now if I had it. I would uh, take them all in the bathtub with me and I would have like I would I'd flip my the bottom of my shirt and I would just pile toys and I'm like okay I don't have enough for this and I'd have like a whole storyline built already uh, you don't want to get storm near that bathtub <laughs> it's dangerous it's dangerous she can do anything with that water <laughs> yeah so toys toys yeah, let's buy some you're more. welcome world let's buy let's go let's, let's go buy some toys <laughs> before we get to our listener question yes, yes. Uh, let's plug just one thing we'll remind you all to sign up for our Patreon yeah patreon.com slash LA Meekly we probably should have said that earlier but sure. we're bad at what we do <laughs> remember join at any level you'll now get a free three by two sticker five dollars a month you get a sticker this month sticker when you sign up for the postcard program and you can be one of our postcard pals we'll send you a postcard a month from a interesting la place or whatever i could find handwritten i just designed a whole new batch of them they're coming in hot a lot of people are getting postcards from the Museum of Neon Art because I live right around the corner now. And that's going to be my stop uh, uh, home place. angles of the Museum of Neon Art. But yeah, we should clarify all Patreon people at, who current Patreon people will get one and postcard people, you'll be getting a sticker this month instead of a postcard. So yeah. don't uh, yeah, give us a break. Yeah, come I'll on. write a little note in it, but give us a break. So we have a listener question. Yes, we do. To close things out. This is from the LA Not So Confidential podcast, oh, which hi. you should listen to. To my favorite doctors. What what does what does it look like to you? <laughs> what is this? Does this look like murder? <laughs> um, could you check this out? It's on my back. It's it's a homicide. Uh, do they have a Patreon level where I, they just do like Columbo impressions? Because yeah. I would pay that. I would want that. <laughs> That's our next Patreon level. We'll do a <laughs> oh, whole. Oh, we'll record the whole episode secondarily, but Greg will be Columbo yeah. and I will be Elvis. <laughs> I'll, be old, I'll be old fat Elvis. Uh, so uh, their question. Just favorite live music experience. Hmm. 
I've had a lot because I would intern for that record company, so I would work the booth yeah, for a lot of really great right. shows. I think mine, my the my go to of like one of the best shows I went to. I think it was because it was the first time I went without like parents. Without my brother Ugh. who took me to everything or my cousin Lizzie who took me to everything, I kind of just went on my own with a friend from high school to a theater that has since been closed down in Downey called the Allen Theater that was on, I think it was like right off of Tweedy. And it was Latino Ska. It was La Resistencia, Viernes Trece, and Left Alone, who's I like obsessed over for maybe five years, who's just like a, I don't want to say knockoff rancid, but <laughs> a little a little more brass instrumenty. But that was just a great show. And then I met my friend Snuffy's cousin was there. <laughs> Who had just been shot in the arm because he was mugged. Some oh, guy was God. like, Give me your wallet or I'll shoot you. He's like, Then shoot me. He got shot. Uh, I got to get to the Rancid, the yeah, fake the- <laughs> Rancid concert. I was like, What's it like getting shot? And he's like, It's not great. Uh, and he's like, you, They don't tell you that when you get shot, it burns because the bullet's red hot and it's stuck in you and it's just like burning your skin. So your favorite concert is the one where you where learn what it's like to be, to be shot. shot. Yeah. <laughs> But it was just a great show. And uh, I was like obsessed over Left Alone for a long time and I was chasing them. I, I you know, but I've been to a lot of concerts. We went to see Red Hot Chili Peppers and Neil Young at the Whoa. Palladium, which was weird. That is very weird. Yeah. I, I've seen a lot of, I mean, a lot. I've been to a lot of really great venues, a lot of great backyard shows too. Yeah, I, I well, of course, my favorite concert experience of all time was going to see X at Hollywood Park because I won three dollars betting on horses. That's right. That was also a good show. But like you, I I couldn't really settle on one. But I don't. Re- I never have really gone to like you know. I guess I I do see. Uh, yeah, okay. I I see like rock stuff, like yeah. band band sort of thing. Sure, sure. I wrote down John Williams at the Hollywood. You saw, like, you've uh, been to the Hollywood Bowl a lot. Hollywood. Bowl, oh, there's a lot of Hollywood Bowl here. Yeah. John Williams at the Hollywood Bowl anytime is always great. Yeah. Also, the Simpsons thing yeah, that, that was we great. went to the ELO thing that we also went to. Yeah. Those were two really great shows. Yeah. Uh, I saw Paul McCartney at Staples Center That's one really, time in a, high school. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. And also the Sloppy Boys when I saw them in you Long did. Beach, I had a great time. That was so much fun it was fun knowing you were going especially to like a bar show to see a really like like what two or three really great yeah. comedy bands no they weren't the, the other two the other ones weren't really comedy but okay, the yeah. sloppy boys like i think they're playing actually again like this week but they they that was one of the most fun yeah they're just so much fun right and, and the music's really good i would put them on par with john williams <laughs> and paul mccartney have we gone to any? I'm I'm sure we've gone to like comedy music shows before, but those are always fun. Like I always have a good time when I'm watching really great comedians, and it's broke up by like a couple bands who yeah. just want to play. They're tw- singer songwriters. I don't know if you, I bring this up. I think I just brought it up last night to Melissa, but I bring it up a lot. But you remember when one time we went to a show at Meltdown? It was the John Mulaney thing. Uh-huh. And they had a band before the show started, a three-piece band that apparently only knew how to play the beginning of Seven Nation Army. Oh, right. And they played the boom, boom, boom. But they played that for 35 minutes straight, <laughs> like just that part of the song. They were playing boom, 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 boom. Didn't hate it. Great hook. <laughs> I'd like to see a show. Melissa saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers recently at mm. the uh, SoFi Stadium, and it was awful. Like, that is not the place to be watching sure. live music. But I'd, I'd like to see like the Forum or something like yeah. that. I've never, I've never been to the Forum. Have you been to the Troubadour before? No, that's another place Great I haven't one. been to. Melissa, I think, saw, she saw someone there. 
Yeah. Like Amy Mann. I don't know. She saw okay. somebody there. That's a pretty good show, too. Yeah, Troubadours, I've seen some really, I think, like, Los Creepers and whoever else from that rockabilly punk thing. I, I feel like Dodger Stadium is also a bad place to see a concert, yeah. but I would also be fun to yeah. see one, you know, rancid live sure. at Dodger Stadium. Oh, I saw The Hives at the Roxy. That was also a really good show, too. <laughs> oh, The Hives are so good. Okay. I can just go on forever. Yeah, we've talked shows. about enough about music. That's, yeah. that, that's enough of us. Sure. This episode's over. Enjoy the love month, everybody. Go buy some toys for your loved one. Buy yourself a Barbie doll to cheer you up. Uh, original you a, run Barbie doll. Original one. It's Black only like $700,000 in the box. In the need. box, you yeah. You gotta get in the box. Yeah, enjoy. Uh, if you're really lonely, buy yourself a Build Lily doll. Have a nice Valentine's Day. <laughs> buy a hula hoop and press all your friends. If you want someone on Valentine's Day, Buy a hula hoop. Yeah. If you're doing that in the middle of the street, people are going to give you attention. They're going to. Yeah, they're going to want to date They're going to ask questions. Yeah. You can ask the cops when they show up. Look at the way he moves. <laughs> I like the way he moves. <laughs> stop it now. Where? How do I stop the recording before you finish the song? Because you always do. So, uh, yeah. See you in March. Or see you soon for something. And uh, see you in March. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you in March. <laughs> if we don't get enough Patreon people, we might get canceled. canceled. Yeah. See you in March. Bye. <laughs>